If my calculations are correct, when this episode hits 88 minutes, you're gonna hear some serious shit. Franchise Flicks. My name is Ted, and joining me are my co-hosts, Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and love, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. Today, we're talking about the Back to the Future series, the franchise that spans 100 years but simultaneously takes place over the course of about a week. This series includes Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part 2, and Back to the Future Part 3. On our podcast, we usually like to start with our experience levels with these franchises. So, uh, Zach, why don't you hit us with your experience level? Uh, Well, Back to the Future, um, I've seen many, many times. Uh, This is a, a, a trilogy I'm actually really familiar with. Um, but I've never really watched it with a, a critical eyes. So, I mean, I've seen each movie. I probably I've seen I've seen one and two the most often, um, the most right, you know, uh, repeatedly at least. Um, and then uh, three I've seen a handful of times as well. But uh, I always watched these when you know they were on TNT reruns. That was my. I think that's probably where I've seen it the most. I I can tell you where the commercials are in these movies. <laughs> Oh, like really? where the commercial <laughs> breaks are because I've watched them on network television as, as a kid so often. Uh, but uh, I, I love Back to the Future. So I've seen it a bunch. But again, I, I, as I said, I've never watched a, a critical eye or, you know, in, in, with any type of analysis. So it was fun to, to go back and actually look at it and kind of just pick pick up things that I want to say about it. And um, I overall love the series. It's a it's a it's a darling franchise andy what about you for me i think my familiarity with the franchise is from childhood just like you zach with watching it on tv probably tnt if that was the the station it was on tbs television for sure so i I had to have watched it then not my favorite franchise and i'm i'm not gonna poo on it too much zach if you love it a lot uh (laughs) But I never liked it as a kid either, so it was definitely something I only had seen before on television, probably watched it in passing, not really sitting down to like, oh, enjoy this movie and get into it and get involved in all of that stuff. My older siblings probably liked it more because it came out in the 80s, so their liking of it anytime it was on TV probably is why I would have seen it. So for me, I'm not really connected to it, which was a pain to watch because of that. I don't really like it, but we'll get into that when we talk about these movies. So yeah, Ted, tell us what you think. Well, kind kind of along the same lines, uh, watching it on like TNT or whatever cable station would play them all the time. And uh, I definitely saw one and two more than I saw three. I think I've only seen three a handful of times. Uh, Not to say it's like, any worse or anything but it's not as iconic as the first two uh the first two are really like huge in pop culture uh just between like the delorean and everything and then in two when you get all the predictions about what's going to happen in 2015 
that's a huge thing that people held on to until 2015 and we'll get to some of that which will be fun uh but it's overall just a fun series uh it doesn't take itself too seriously it pokes fun at itself and uh i don't know it's just a lot of fun and i'm probably gonna have a hard time nitpicking it because it goes right into it just knowing that it's nothing serious. It's more of a screwball comedy, I think, than it is a sci-fi series. 100%. 100% agree. Um, so, I mean, I guess we can start off with uh, how we open in the first movie. Yeah. So in the first movie, we open with uh, Michael J. Fox playing Marty McFly. What a name, right? uh <laughs> just I mean, this, super this, 80s it's so full of 80s cheese it's I so know. full of 80s cheese it's amazing even from yeah. from marty mcfly and beyond <laughs> it is uh, so self-aware about it which is fun if it wasn't self-aware about it i would probably fucking hate these movies but because it is it's like okay i know what we're doing here Let's get right into it. Uh, it. It knows all the tropes of the 80s right now, and we're, we're getting right into it. So it, I think it starts with Marty just kind of wandering over to old Doc Brown's uh, garage, I guess, where he conducts all of his experiments. He's this eccentric old man who's a scientist. He's got all of these mechanisms to feed his dog and all this shit. And, well, uh, you see, it's been like totally ignored for a long time yeah you, like that, yeah what's the the one thing was like the the dog food um yeah the, just piled yeah. up piled up yeah. everywhere absolutely and uh burnt toast and stuff like that burnt stuff toast. that's like clearly his usual routine just totally fucked up because he hasn't been there for a couple days what are those mechanisms called again like the the uh things that like sh like can't really exist but like you can theorize them like a perpetual the, motion? No, no. You're thinking about like Rue Goldberg machine, but those are like the machines yes. that go. Rue that's Goldberg they machine. they do exist. Yeah, it's, it's where you start something and then it goes through this whole very convoluted process to get some right. like menial uh, path uh, yeah. done. Yeah, that's exactly. very eighties though too. Uh, like I remember, I think uh, fucking Ferris Bueller has one in Ferris Bueller's Day Off to like. Uh, have all the mechanisms to trick his family into thinking that he's sleeping and that he's sick. And then I, I remember like, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, those kind of movies where there's like the wacky scientist from the 80s. He's right. always got everything automated. And uh, yeah, it, it just buys right into that. Uh, what trope. was that though? Like in, in the 80s, like what, what was that craze? Like what was everybody was kind of looking at like the future and technology. Like what was the big thing that really drove that in media? No, it was because of t you just, you said the word it's technology. So think about what happens. You get the Walkman where now you take music on the go with you. Um, yeah, you have yeah. the, it, this is the age of the internet actually is when you start getting it, not the popular internet that we use, but literally like the internet is existing for government and big business to do the things that they need to do the fax machine all this idea of like communication transportation uh personal enjoyment those things are like converging together all at the same time during the 80s where we get cell phones for the first time all these things right. that will later on in future decades so our our futurology really explodes into pop culture during the 1980s 
yeah, yeah late seventies of it too. Right, a lot of like just the the rudimentary future mandated technology. Yeah, what I, I think it comes from like uh, a huge jump in uh, where technology was a couple years before that to where it is at that point. So then they're thinking, okay, well, if we've made these huge leaps, then it's not super far-fetched to say in this movie where we can use movie magic that things have jumped just a little bit further and it, we can pretend that things <laughs> are... You know, uh, right now we're on Discord video chatting. Uh, that there are a lot of like '80s and '90s movies where people are on like video calls, but it's like a literal corded phone that they pick up. But there's a video <laughs> yeah. too, and like it, it's these really crude versions of what we end up with or what we want to end up with someday. And those are just very fun, but also very dated. Like if our kids in the future ever watch these movies, that they'll be like, "What the fuck is all this?" So funny. Um, I love it. Yeah, to a yeah. to a flying car. That's what they they thought was going to happen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Well, what I do like, Ted, because we're, we're talking about his, like, the the opening sequence here, right, of the um, his machine, like, sh- indicating, like, something's going on here. Technology right. is used throughout the trilogy, and it starts with this first movie as kind of, like, our, not just the, the plot device or part of it to get you there, but it comes up, like, frequently of whatever the technology of the time period is, how they use it, what you need to do with it, um, using it to, like, do something it's not supposed to do or unintended, kind of like the MacGyvering of things putting it together. So that's one of the things I, I do like about this trilogy that start like shows you right in that first sequence what's this, what you're going to get throughout the rest of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, without going too far in, a perfect example of that is uh, when Marty's in the past and he takes the, the little scooter and turns it into a skateboard. Stuff like that uh, where, like you said, you're using something that exists for not the intended purposes. And then everybody's like, whoa, holy shit. We never even thought of that. You can do that without a bad, shitty handle on that thing. That's amazing. Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So I I, speaking of the skateboard, um, we should we should kind of talk about this scene so we can get to the 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 crucial 80s scene right after this scene um so marty sees all the mess in the in the house he plugs in the guitar and blows himself away in the super powered amp um which again 80s amazing um and then the doc calls and he needs him to meet him somewhere at like 2 a.m uh and it says it's really important. And then Marty realizes he's late for school. Cue 80s transition scene. Yeah. With the power With, of uh, love, baby. Yeah, power of love written power for of this love. movie. Doesn't really make sense with the plot of the movie, but hey, Not it's there. And all. it sounds no, fucking great. It does. Uh, so uh, here it is. I'm going to say well, okay. it. Okay. The right. whole okay. purpose yeah. point. of this movie and the next one and the one after that is you got to get back to the girlfriend. And I forgot her name already. Catherine? Jennifer. Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) She's so important that I can't remember her name. And that's it. It's the power of love. 
The power of love is what propels Marty McFly through his journey, journeyman's journey in the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah, the, the power of love is the plot device. Absolutely. A, a very, well, yes, yes. And it's funny you say that because I didn't really think about it in terms of Jennifer and Marty, but I thought of it at the end of the third movie. And I, again, I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, the, the the end of the third movie when like, when the doc falls in love with Clara and it ends up that, that he's, he's going to stay back with her. And then he creating this time traveling life with her. I found, I, I found that kind of interesting with, from the beginning of the movie, uh, when it did, you know, we, we did hear power of love and that being the, the opening song to this trilogy is like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like doc went through a pretty big arc to get here. You thought it was Marty that we were talking about, but Doc Brown's a softy. Well, well we True. can we can talk about Marty's journey too as a part of it, but I everyone has a journey. All the characters go through a journey. Yeah, yeah, that's what I like about it. So anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, '80s skateboard uh, transition scene. So we're talking about Power of Love is playing. We're hitching rides on the back of trailers. I yeah, mean, which cool. is super dangerous. I, I love how everybody in the town is just like. That's Marty, you know, like, right? <laughs> that they just look back at him like most people would be fucking terrified if there were a teenager hanging on to their Jeep and skateboarding. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think most people would react like Biff does, which is try to commit uh, vehicular manslaughter with Marty almost every fucking movie. It's a pretty he's, regular occurrence. Yeah, he's always trying to kill him in some fashion and usually ends up in a pile of manure, which is uh, a great little trope in these movies. Yeah, I uh, definitely love that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he gets his way to school. And of course, he's because uh, he's the skateboarder and he's late. He's that slacker. He's that fucking slacker. And his girlfriend, who we always forget, meets him outside the school and uh, warns him that the principal, who hates slackers, by the way, um is coming for him and uh of course he gets caught and uh given a tardy slip or something like that and uh, uh I, I do love that the principal like basically emotionally abuses him says that no mcfly has ever been anything you're a mcfly and Super you'll never harsh. be anything either <laughs> yeah i'm like what the fuck? literally nose to nose yeah, I, I was just thinking, can... like, in the context of today, like, even if principals ever were like that, there's no way they could ever be like that today. You cannot just stop students and just abuse them emotionally and verbally in the hallways. I the think principal didn't even know my name. Yeah. I don't even know that she ever saw me. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like this franchise is because everything is just over the top. And I, I get it. You're not supposed to expect it, anything other than what it is. And it makes fun of itself throughout the, the movies. But everything is just too unbelievable for me to actually in really enjoy it with uh, one exception. But we'll we'll talk about that later. I don't know. I I love the the Strickland character. You know, even when you know we we see him in other iterations. Yeah. Um, I I think which I think is really funny. Like the the whole trilogy is a reference to the first movie. But anyway, yeah, that's 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 Strickland. He is a hard hitting principal who's scolding a, a, a McFly in every era of the McFlies. Apparently. 
then from there, what? He goes home, sleeps, oversleeps almost, and sees. Anyway, we have to get to the point where we got we got to move through faster. So we yeah, have yeah, to get yeah. to the point where. Uh, so Doc is. We see Doc. He's got this time machine in the Pine. What is it? Pine Mall. Pine twin, twin Twin Pines. Twin Pines Mall. All right, that's important. Twin Pines Mall parking lot. Um, and so Doc has this uh, time machine. He's got the time machine that he made out of the Delorean. Uh, and it really works. So the way he shows Marty that it works is that it, he sends Einstein, what, back 30 seconds or forward 30 seconds? A, a minute, I think. A minute. And then he and catches up to them. What it what was was it forward or back though? That is one thing that I try to follow, and I think I got where they're coming from. But like the the time travel metrics don't always make sense to me. Did he go forward or back? A minute. I think I don't he remember. went back. Did he go back? I, I think he went back because the whole sequence is uh, he sends him in the time machine, and then he's timing him catching up to them so uh you know they have to get out of the way once the delorean is about to hit them because they're right in the path of it so i think they send him back one minute just so he can catch up to them but it's instantaneous for einstein but i thought that's uh, he's yeah it's instantaneous so i thought that meant he sent him forward because he comes out at nine 31 or whatever the time was so like a minute um behind rather so his clock was mm. 9 30 but their clock was 9 31 so wouldn't that mean he got sent forward this is what i'm talking about this the time travel the time travel logic is really questionable in a lot of <laughs> so I, i'm not remembering exactly what it was at all now i i wish i paid more attention to it because now i'm confused. i really tried to pay yeah. attention to the tra time travel stuff because it's it i remember it like just it doesn't always add up well now i'm fucking confused it doesn't matter anyways <laughs> because the how time travel works in this trilogy is is bogus so that's, that's my overall point <laughs> that's my overall yep. point, is it's crazy doesn't um, matter so the time machine uh works um and he shows marty how to use it <laughs> which is really convenient for the rest of the trilogy um come on marty let's look at this thing here and do this thing and then go do this yeah. uh, by the way like the tutorial why is this high school student hanging out with this single eccentric seemingly billionaire scientist there is no real answer to that is yeah i i kept looking for signs like maybe he's grooming him in some way some nefarious way here that i just never noticed as a kid and he just likes marty apparently he's just a big fan of marty he's concerned about what's gonna happen to marty and he wants him around him all the time and i guess they're just friends so nothing nefarious going on apparently well, if we can relate it to one of the things I do enjoy about uh, the Back to the Future trilogy is that it inspired Rick and Morty's characters. So uh, I can thank this trilogy for that. And that's exactly what it is. It's just, you know, the classic. You've got a older male figure who's like the, the mentor kind of role model person who looks after his mentee, younger person. Well, I think that the similarity is mostly that he just does whatever the doc 
wants him to do um really for seemingly for no reason <laughs> like he just tells him what to do be here at 1 30 in the meet me at the mall parking lot at 1 30 a.m as a teenager you probably shouldn't do that exactly that's why i'm saying <laughs> i was looking for something beyond that underlying like is there some secret message here about grooming a child because this does not <laughs> no, add up no 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 look at who is who marty's father is right he's like a loser nobody he's not gonna be active as like and be a good role model so like marty has looked out for individuals in his life who would be that and for whatever reason we don't we need like the the prequel uh to back to the future to see why they have this relationship with one another but he's he's feeling just like a a, a male role model figure in marty's life is my in universe you know whatever for these two okay He's not necessarily a good one, though, because if we move on with the plot no. <laughs> here, we, we find out that after he shows him how the time machine works, that what he needed to run the time machine was plutonium. and You can't just get plutonium anywhere. And he apparently stole the plutonium and some bad deal gone wrong with uh, what, what were the what were the people Libyans from? Libyans. Libyans. Yeah, it, <laughs> and that was like a, a classic like 80s, 90s movie uh, trope where like it's kind of yikes when you look back and you're like, uh-oh, we, we, we got the bad brown guys chasing yeah. the good white guys here. Um, I mean, it, it's meant to be fun and everything, but also uh, it's, it's a bad trope. Very cringe, yeah. And then they, they literally come guns blazing for their plutonium. <laughs> Or really, yeah. with no other purpose seemingly than to kill Doc, um, but uh, they they do just that, and Marty freaks out and gets in the Mandalorian and starts driving away as they're shooting at him, and then lo and Mandalorian, behold, huh? <laughs> did, I say, did I say Mandalorian? Oh, we're, we're crossing streams here. <laughs> oh my god! I have so much. I think I have Baby Yoda up here in my periphery. So I think oh, that's what, man. excuse me, Grogu. Uh, I think that's what got me. The I'm so glad, <laughs> so glad I muted myself as I was coughing because then I started laugh coughing at that. Holy shit! <laughs> I did not even notice that I did that. What a um, moment! The DeLorean, <laughs> the '80s, <laughs> the car made in the '80s, not well uh, in the '80s. But anyway. Um, so he, st he steals the man, the, the DeLorean, uh, or takes the DeLorean to escape the gunfire, uh, and and reaches somehow, uh, like Doc said just moments before, eighty eight miles an hour. Um, and he also just happened to put in the date of November twelfth, nineteen fifty five, um, as uh, as he was talking to Marty. So Marty travels back in time to November twelfth, nineteen fifty five. And luckily, that's not a significant date. It won't have any effect on anything going forward. So roll credits, right? No problem. 15-minute like movie? Yeah. It was over. That'd be funny to do one of those, um, like, uh, the cuts where they, like, say the movie ends here. They do it all the time, like a film by George Lucas with Star Wars. But do one with this one and have, like, Marty, like, not reach 88 miles an hour, just, like, crash in the mall and, like, movie ends. <laughs> 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 the engine just stalls out at 87 yeah. <laughs> it just dies <laughs> yeah th then they flash to uh from three where they have the gravestone that uh 
Or no, it, it never actually has Marty's name though, right? Because no, he's Clint, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's not even go that far. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's in the past, and guess what, guys? He's got to get back to the future. Who would have thunk? Yeah, perfect name. Um, so let's see. When he goes back to the past, um, where does he end up again? Well, he ends up right outside right of of his well he he well yeah he ends up right outside of his town right like uh, at that billboard yeah where the the that's mall right, will right. eventually be built yeah that's right um so he goes into town gets super freaked out by everything because it all looks the same but a little different he's in the same place but everything looks older the cars are older people are dressed in different things everybody's making comments about his clothing he's wearing a vest, a puffy a vest, preserver. and they're, they're, they're saying he's wearing a life preserver the whole time, which is super fun when everybody's super buttoned up. They're wearing fedoras and suits. They're wearing uh, very non-revealing dresses for the women. Uh, and then is this, he meets his father in the uh, cafe, right? Yeah, the diner sequence happens. Yeah, in the diner. He meets his father. Then uh, there's a sequence with Biff, who we, we actually skipped uh, before he goes back in time, is essentially uh, a lifelong bully of his father, uh, is his boss in the future. That's right. Yeah. And, the house. Uh, yeah. In the past, he is forcing Marty's father to do his homework, similar to the way he's forcing him to do his uh, work where they were currently as his boss. And uh, Marty interjects, and they get into this whole scuffle. And uh, Marty does his uh, classic fight maneuvers where he outsmarts somebody, then kind of skirts away in some way, shape, or form. And uh, there's a chase. Well, he's, like, he's like a wise ass that just narrowly gets away. Like mm -hmm. that's yeah. you know that's that's always kind of how how it works out. Like he just pushes yeah. his luck, and he just narrowly escapes. Uh, after, you know, getting away with something he shouldn't have done. Um, so, yeah, that that's a good point. We forgot Biff at the at the beginning because um, he becomes a, a you yeah, know, obviously throughout the, the whole trilogy, he becomes a crucial um, part of Marty's story. Yeah, uh, Biff in all iterations, uh, family members, ancestors, is pretty much the antagonist throughout. Right. Which is another thing that I love, and and I, I know we'll talk about it throughout the the whole show, but um, I love all of the um, like these really specific things that change throughout the eras of time. Biff is one of them. Uh, the DeLorean is one of them. Um, just like everything that like shows you, like these specific things that show you um, how things have changed throughout the timeline I, I i think it's it's one of my favorite things about this so yeah um anyway so we're so we we were just uh the, he was at the diner bullied bullied george mcfly uh which later we find out is his father or well at that then we find out is his father um he leaves the diner to follow him he catches him peeping um up in a tree because <laughs> he's, he's a simp let's just put it out there that he's a <laughs> yeah. total simp yes yes he's a he's an 80 years later he's a simp for sure um 
and then uh, he try. Well, oh, George falls out of the tree, and this this is the so this is everything in this continuum affects you know something moving forward. This is the first time that Marty actually affects the timeline um, because George McFly was supposed to get hit by a car, and Marty saves him. Uh, Marty saves him from getting yep. hit. He gets hit, and this is where now we're really in it. Yeah. So I was going to say this is really where the movie gets its plot and where it really starts getting going because you can make an argument before this moment as long as Marty follows Doc's uh, command and doesn't mess with the timeline, then things will be okay and he can just go back safe and sound. But now he saved his father from getting hit by the car which good instincts but uh unfortunately it messes with the timeline because earlier in the movie when we're in introduced to his parents uh when they're older in the future his mom goes into the story of how they met and it's a really uh kind of sad story actually because uh that they end up getting married which is wonderful and they end up having marty and his siblings but the story of how they met was he gets hit by the car. She considers him like a wounded animal and wants to care for him. And that's really how they develop their relationship. And from there, you can see uh, when his father is older, there's like an arrested development with him where he like is weirdly still looking as young as he does in the past. Uh, probably part of that, like not maturing and that's why Biff is able to continue to bully him into adulthood. Uh, so when Marty saves him, Marty is the one who is now seen as the uh, thing that needs to be saved, at least for the moment. So transition to him waking up in his mother's childhood home, and she's kind of caring for him, uh, <laughs> kind of patting his head, uh, getting the sweat off and everything, and... Uh, He's going into this whole thing, how he thinks it was a dream, and he hears his mother's voice, so, you know, that's calming for him. But then he realizes uh, what year it is. She mentioned something about uh, where they are or what year it is, and he snaps out of it, wakes up, and sees his mother is a teenager. And uh, he gets very disturbed by this, and uh, this is where, like, you get into the whole weird thing where there's a lot of weird sexual tension throughout these movies between Marty and his mother. I, yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, weird incest stuff throughout the whole franchise because of that. Like, you get this, like, weird sexual tension moments between uh, his mother, um, like, in the future. Like, there's, like, this weird connection with, well, we'll get into the other movies, but, like, of it's the same actors playing these characters, right? And how the younger version of the mom in the, or the... What's her the girlfriend's name? Uh, Christina. Uh, she Jennifer. Jennifer. It's, it's Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer. Future Jennifer. Um, like, and is, is there like a weird Marty scene? I don't remember. But at any event, like this just pops up throughout these movies. Is like, uh, oh, these are the family members, and now you're sexually interacting with them, which is kind of weird. It, I I I think the only time that really. I really felt that was this first time in in the first movie when when uh, he was like falling or his mother was falling in love with with him. Uh, I don't really remember seeing that in, in the alternate 1985 or in the future. 
I, I think there's a little bit in the alternate 1985 and two, uh, just when not even like sexual tension, but more just super weirded out because uh, that's the point where his mom is married to Biff and she's got the breast implants and he just like, that's the only thing that's like there essentially because she has like that super revealing top on and uh, it, like all of his comments are like, you look so, so big. And uh, in the first one, it's, oh, you look so thin, but uh you could almost hear him wanting to say hot in the first one. Uh, it's pretty rough. I, I think the writers had some uh, weird mommy issues or they just thought <laughs> it was super funny. I'm not sure which it is. If they think uh, potential incest is funny or if they actually had some issues that they wanted to explore. Well, so the the other reference is in the third one when it's the actor who play or the actress who plays his mom uh, is married to Seamus. Right. So, so it's Leo weird Tom. because yeah. that's Michael J. Fox playing and, that character. Yeah. yeah. And that also opens up another can of worms, by the way. Like, I, I know these are very tongue-in-cheek, uh, very self-aware movies, but, like, when I saw that one in particular in 3, not to jump too far ahead, uh, I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so... This character, who's played by the same actress who plays his mother, is supposed to look like her, but in reality, his mother is not a McFly until she's married in. So to me, I was like, either they're just having fun here, or the McFly family just has a long history of keeping it in the family, keeping that bloodline pure, you know what I'm saying? Like... Jesus Christ, I was a little weirded out by that one in particular. You're picking up what I'm just having fun with it. Yeah, I think they're just having fun with like that. That uh, that one did stick out to me, actually, is the the way you're not. You can't be a McFly. How could you be a McFly? Exactly. It made more sense that Michael J. Fox was playing her husband than she was playing the wife. And it was super weird, super disturbing to me. Unless Uh, there's a history of incest in this family, which I think is the theory that I'm going with here. I'm putting it out there. We have to watch the director commentary for these movies because there's got to be something there that there's... Uh, predator vibes from doc brown and there's this going on i don't know about this franchise guys i don't think it's as innocent I don't, as we thought i mean maybe maybe spielberg and zemeckis or i think it's zemeckis right maybe they're just I think so you know part of that uh that uh q, <laughs> q, q thing <laughs> maybe they yeah. are who knows yeah, that they're part of the uh, elite uh, pedophile cabal. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> Andy Boy. with the signs over here. Um, Illuminati. Yeah, so anyway, got really off topic there. But yeah, it, it just sets up a lot of that weird tension uh, throughout the movies. And, and it's mostly Marty with his mom, but specifically more in this one, because she is very attracted to him in the beginning of this movie uh puts her arm on or uh, hand on his leg with her at the dinner table with his grandparents which is super awkward for him uh and his aunts and uncles yeah i I do love that comment uh you know get used to these bars uncle joey uh because he's in the little playpen there right which in 1985 he's actually in prison yeah absolutely (laughs) um 
Yeah, so it's just a lot of fun, weird tension that they play with there and uh, the awkwardness of being with his family, his actual blood relatives. But in the past, they don't know who he is uh, and his mother's attracted to him. So that just sets up pretty much the entire plot of this movie going forward. So then he he goes and finds Doc Brown, right? That's like his next step after. So he goes to find Doc Brown. uh from 1955 who at that point was kind of just like a croc scientist he's like trying to trying to invent something like he doesn't even really have an invention to speak of so he's trying to get something to work and and he he goes to doc brown he he has the the mind reader the thought reader on his head he's like don't tell me anything come on in couldn't get it um it just looks super weird um i think even in the uh, no, never mind. Um, so anyway, so he he explains he explains uh, I, I'm I'm back from the future. You created a time machine. Doc says no way. Okay, well let me I'll tell you how you thought of Pastor. Um, and then that's when uh, Doc buys in. Yeah, that's when he starts to actually believe that it's true and understands that he was a success in the future. So that's really what drives him at that point. It's like holy shit, I actually did something. Let's fucking go. I got to help you get back to the future here and probably save you from your mom, essentially. Predator um, mom. Yeah, I mean, really. Well, they so they start... They, all right, so Doc Brown buys in. He's like, okay, so we got to figure this out. Then they go... Do they actually go to see the DeLorean? Well, yeah, because he t they have to they get the plot point out there that they can't get plutonium because it's not available in 1950. Right, so yeah. This right. is where they start scheming now what to do. Cause they have to, they have to correct the timeline and they have to get this whole thing set up to be able to get the lightning to strike the tower, um, to get enough energy to the DeLorean to reach 88 miles an hour and right. activate the flux capacitor. Well, and that's what happens in that conversation with Doc and Marty is they find out oh, 1.21 gigawatts can only be uh, attained by plutonium or lightning strike. And it just so happens that November, what is it, 19th, 1955, uh, there's a, a, a historic storm uh, and, the, and lightning strikes the clock tower. And so that's what they have to do. They have to harness the power of lightning to get the Delore or the uh, time machine back to 1985. Right. Um, that's the whole, that's their strategy at least. Yep. So from there, I think they actually end up going to Marty's school uh, and Doc Brown's wearing his cool little hat and, or, or no, not Marty's school, but I guess at this point, his parents' school, they go to the right. school to like really assess how bad the situation is with uh, Marty fucking up the timeline here. So when Doc Brown sees uh, Marty interact with his mother, he realizes, holy shit. So they, they try to get his father hooked up with his mother, but she's just not having it because she thinks Marty McFly, who she's calling Calvin Klein at that point because it was written on the inside of his underwear, <laughs> is the fucking coolest thing since sliced bread. Well, which could be upside, to be fair. It's the outside of his underwear. Well, and can we just comment on that, though? Thompson. That this is the, like, continuing 
theme through this the franchise is where he uses a care like a famous name um to be like his alias while he's in this new timeline right yeah yeah like he gets recognized Absolutely. for something or he has to make up something on the spot and it's always one that nobody would know or recognize based on the time so there's calvin klein we've got clint eastwood in the third one what what does he use in the second one well he just has to stay hidden in the second one right i mean he doesn't really uh, yeah i guess he, he goes by something third because you know he no, everybody re- recognizes him as as marty mcfly yeah. jr jr yeah, that's he, right yeah, he's recognized as his son yeah yep that's yeah. right so um we we should kind of breeze through this stuff so we've been talking way too long about <laughs> the plot stuff in this movie yeah we got to move on but it gets a set up um, for everything so this would be a nice way to like branch off and everything is once you get through this first movie now you can start tackling because you have to wrap up the the all the mess that is made basically from this first right. movie i mean yeah there's there's a lot that that uh, that we've set up so far so now they have to uh basically this is the that's marty's b story his b plot i guess is that he's got to get george mcfly to fall in love with his mother um who is in love with him so he has to try and figure that out um and then the the main plot is is getting back to 1985. You could even reverse those. I mean, I think it's kind of one A one B uh, in terms of the the plot um, itself. But inevitably, they need to get back to 1985. But they have to address uh, the the future timeline and how they're going to get how they're going to make everything consistent before he gets back to 1985. Um, so. So then so they, they basically they go through this whole whole thing about how Marty is going to get George McFly to fall in love with um uh what's her name in the movie? Do you remember? Not Jennifer. No, it's, that's, it's that's not good. Jennifer. It, it is not Jennifer, <laughs> that is sure. sure. Uh it doesn't really matter, but uh but that so they kind of just go on these wacky tirades and uh, adventures and well, how to get to so they point. they set up the plan which is there's the big dance coming up so yeah, what they, right. what they need they to do up, is right? yeah to get them together the plan is that marty uh, is gonna go with her but he's gonna like basically be an asshole and convince her to fall in love um with george and what ends up happening though is they go to the prom together, but it's either on the way there or when they get there, I forget where exactly it happens, but like she comes on to him and his plan is to like have George come in or that he's going to go hard on her, like be really aggressive. And then George is going to come in and, and save her. But then all of a sudden Biff shows up and Biff starts like basically sexually assaulting her and that's when george comes in and actually saves the day which is important for his character development because it turns him from a simp uh into uh, a cuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wouldn't call him a cuck there but sure george mcfly's character this this uh this movie that's a good that's a good observation yeah Um, But that's like plan C. None of their plans actually worked. Yeah, it just happened like a happenstance. 
Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you, you talked about it. That they're in the parking lot of the dance. Uh, Marty's plan is to pretend to sexually assault her, essentially. And uh, George is supposed to come in and say, get off of her, and then kind of grab Marty and throw him off and save the day. Well, what ends up happening, like you said, is that she comes on to him, kisses Marty, and then she has her super weird feeling about it. She's like, it's like kissing my brother, which opens another can of worms. I, I'm not sure if she's just saying that as a turn of phrase or if she's like, it's just like kissing my brother again. Like, you got to ask the question about these writers sometimes. Oh, no, that's that's entirely intentional. That's yeah, that's exactly what um, you meant. But yeah, Biff ends up being the surrogate Marty, actually trying to sexually assault her and gives George the courage to do what he needs to do. So his entire arc is he starts off in the future as this simp, like you said, who's just in arrested development, essentially, because he was treated like a wounded puppy. And then when they get back to the future, eventually, he's uh, he's aged more. But he's like the just for men touch a gray kind of guy where he's uh, this super confident dude who knows who he is. Uh, he's, you know, uh, very playful sexually with his wife, uh, grabbing her ass and all this stuff. Very different guy than the guy who's uh, watching comedy, cracking up at that, not giving any attention to his wife. And uh, you can see the differences in her, too, because uh, when you first see her, she's got these really rough prosthetics on to make her look older uh in the yeah, first yeah. uh yeah time we meet her and she's uh drinking svedka or something like that and just drinking herself to death and super sad about her situation living with him and uh i mean they, they end up together again but it's a totally different circumstance that's one of the big themes of this movie is one small thing that happens in your life and the way you react to it can shape your entire life sometimes. And it just, even though Marty gets things back on track, he also improves things, arguably. Oh, it's a butterfly effect. I mean, it, yeah. you change one thing and your entire future can can change because of it. So, Absolutely. so yeah, I mean, he, when, uh, instead of, Instead of Marty being the one that George encounters, Biff is the one that he encounters, and he ends up uh, ponying up and and knocking him out. And then they, and he, he all of a sudden, Leah Thompson is is infatuated with George McFly, um, Marty's mother. I can't I can't remember her name. And it's going to drive me crazy. I, I so, think it's Lorraine, it's, right? Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine. Yes. Yep. Um, I'll probably still call her Leah, but yeah. No worries. Um, so then they actually go to the dance together. They go into the dance together and um, they just dance for a while. George gets cut in and then he he not he, he cuts in again. So he continues to build his confidence, which to your point, Ted, um, kind of leads us into the future, um, uh, uh, alternate future of 1985. So meanwhile. The DeLorean stuff is still all going on. So Doc Brown is getting set up with the clock tower. Uh, Marty has to meet him there by a specific time, but things just kind of happen. And of course, he he's cutting it pretty close at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, the, some of the things that happen in between are uh, you were talking about George getting his confidence more and more that there's that scene during the dance where Marty starts to disappear a little bit. 
because that guy interjects in the dance, cuts in, and uh, takes her away for a moment. And uh, that almost puts things in jeopardy again. Luckily, he finds his confidence. Marty has his uh, confident moment as well, being able to play his uh, awesome guitar riff moment, I guess. He plays Johnny B. Good in front of everybody uh, and absolutely just shreds the guitar at the end of it. And he makes the comment, you know, maybe you guys aren't ready for that, which he's probably right. <laughs> um that's right. But, we, we really didn't talk about the the picture. Like that's like their barometer of the future. Yeah. Like if this picture changes, then the future has changed. Yeah. Um, so you got the picture with him and his siblings and you see that the first sign of it, I think, is his brother's head disappears from the picture. Uh, when they realize they've really fucked up the timeline and things are going on a different path here. You know what I found interesting about that, though, is that they when the 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 picture was just as if as as it was when he left 1985 it didn't change at all based on the future that he go actually goes back to because more things changed um that that caused him to go back to an alternate 1985 and you see that in the picture in the in the uh, in the third one where the the tombstone actually changes the gravestone actually changes based on the events that are happening there. So I just, I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, they chose not to change his siblings in the photo to reflect what they were going to look like in the future. Well, that would give it away. I would tell you what's, what's to come. It's just not consistent. And yeah. I, I but... take this, I take back to the future very seriously. Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. One of those things that sticks out is like a, you know, an inconsistency among yeah. many. You know, I don't know. It's, it's like people that, uh, get super picky about the science in star wars and you're like you realize we're watching a thing where everybody can hear everything going on in space and none of it actually makes sense like the, the science it's is even not... more ridiculous yeah it, it is more ridiculous but it's also on purpose in a way too that they're yeah. playing it fast and loose and it's just for comedic effect essentially and yeah. to drive the plot forward of yeah of course do you want to just like wrap up the first one we sure. we get back to 1985 uh well the, the whole delorean situation in 1950 or whatever happens where they get it to work but not the way they wanted to right so he's kind of got a hot because it what happens like it something falls on the wire i don't remember exactly what the like a tree branch gets struck by lightning and falls on the wire so doc brown right has to, uh, first, while he's struggling on the clock tower trying to get everything hooked up, he has to go back down, and he literally, uh, what's it called, where you, uh, zip line. Zip line. Zip lines his way down. Uh, luckily, he's wearing gloves, because that would be some bad, <laughs> bad burn on his hands if he wasn't wearing gloves in that situation. And he has to uh, link things up right before Marty hits what is essentially like a metal hook that's attached to the wire uh, that will hook onto the top of the DeLorean and then charge the flux capacitor in order to send him back in time or back to the future. Sorry. <laughs> back to the future. Uh, and it, which works. So it happens. Yep. He gets sent uh, to back to the future, 1985. Um, then I don't even remember the, the exact scene. That takes he gets close. so relieved and that he's back in the future and um he goes into his house to see everything has 
changed. Uh, it is no longer what he remembers as 1985, but instead, uh, his he go he wakes up with his clothes on in his house, right? Um, and uh, he goes out and sees his brother in a suit and his sister, uh, you know, whatever, eating, drinking, uh, eating breakfast, and every all the furniture has changed. It's all much fancier than it was, um, and uh, and it is because you know every that, what he help did to help his father in 1955 um and then his parents come in his mother's you know, super skinny his father's confident and and uh like you said dead kind of teasing her a little sexually uh in yeah, front yeah, of playing his a kids. little grab ass pull playing a little grab ass well because he, he's uh, a he's a cuck now because he he watches her get bent over on the corner of their bed <laughs> by other men um i i think that's some headcanon that you added in there I, I don't remember that part. It's not bad headcanon. I mean, it's probably I, accurate. I think no, it it's better than being the simp, I guess. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but either way, yeah, everything seems to change for the better. Biff's no longer the bully. He's waxing right. their fucking cars. He's the little bitch now. And in the fucking garage, Marty's got this cool, like, mini truck thing going on. I don't know what those really are, I guess. Maybe that's an 80s thing. It was... I guess an SUV of some sort. Oh, so yeah. Um, I I don't know exactly what it was, but it was. It's a. Yeah, it's I, like I, a Toyota. I, I was gonna look up the name of it. it almost um, looked like a Geo Tracker kind of thing, you know. I couldn't. I can't remember. I was gonna look up the name of it. I've seen it before, but uh, yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, that's the future. Then he, the Doc comes back after that. Well, first he runs into Jennifer, right? Yeah. The forgettable love interest. The whole point um, of him getting back. He's got to get back to Jennifer. Yes, that's his motivation. Oh, yeah. Jennifer, aren't you a sight for sore eyes? Um, and then Doc comes back. Marty, we we, we really we really did it. We really we really uh, messed up in the future. You got to come with me. Um, the future? The future. Yep. Like, All right. And they set up the sequel. Uh, you could tell there was a plan for these movies, that's for sure, because each one leads into the succeeding one right afterward, and uh, they don't make any bones about it. They're like, yeah, we know this is going to be a success. Steven Spielberg's attached to it, and uh, yep. we're making more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's literally the same <laughs> the same scene. Yeah. Uh, just apparently shot with a different actor. Yeah, it's, so it's shot differently. So are we getting into it now? We're getting into the garbage one? Yeah. Uh, sh well, the garbage one? The garbage one. There, I said it. Oh, my. I hate this one. <laughs> I hate the second one. I think it is the worst of them, and it's the one where which really makes me dislike uh, the overall franchise. Boy. All right. All right. Um, yeah, we're definitely getting into it. Go for it. You can start it off, then, if... Uh... Apparently, this is memorable you, for you. You've got some strong thoughts about it. No, it just... Here we go. So, I, I like that we're getting set up to go to the future. It's cool to see the DeLorean flies at the end of the, the first one. So, awesome movie connection that it, like, builds right off of where you left off. So, the story continues with Marty. You get to the future, and this is kind of my problem with any future set movie, that this is our 2015. We know what 2015's like. We, we literally lived... 
through it not that long ago. So it's one of those things where this movie is like really absurd and they do everything is absurd. It's taken to like an extreme with the the, the things that they're wearing. Um just the it's another one of those where it's in the future sort of things but it's kind of like old technology we talked about before how how when people talked about with video phones that you'd have the the phone in your hand and the video screen it's all those things that we because that's what you know you, you have your present day so you just take what's in the present and you make it more futuristic but you know what my favorite one was just off of that is all the tvs in the diner oh, <laughs> they're all yeah. like big tube style tvs just got a bunch of them all stacked up together yeah like they've they got didn't like think tvs would look any different <laughs> yeah and all the waiters and waitresses are like uh AI versions of super famous people. So like one of them is Michael Jackson, which is really off putting, uh, you know, if they were really in 2015, they wouldn't have him as a server at that restaurant. I'm just saying, uh, maybe it's a diverging timeline where he doesn't do all those horrible things to little boys. But, uh, then you've got another one with Richard Nixon and I guess it was Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan. I don't know. It was kind of off-putting. I, I will say that. Uh, yeah, no, it's like it was rough. What Andy's saying about like over-the-top and off-putting stuff. I will say that was pretty disturbing to me. That whole sequence. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole diner is supposed to be like uh, their version of uh, Johnny Rockets, essentially. I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but for the eighties, right. That doesn't exist now. We, we don't have an 80s-style diner anymore. Still, the closest thing to it is Johnny Rockets. That's what we've that's got, like a, yeah. and that's for the 50s-style, 50s right? Yeah. Well, and that's um, where we head next, right? When basically they go back to the future, and they go, he goes straight to the diner. I mean, I, there's nothing really notable between then and, uh, you know, when they when – they, well, he, he does Get leave there. Jennifer, the very uh, unforgettable girlfriend, in an alley. In an alley. Just, Behind a right. bunch of trash. Right. Yeah, they yeah. just kind of dump her places. Yeah. Maybe that's like another inside joke with this movie where they're just like, ah, remember her? <laughs> you know, we're just going to leave her and Nobody forget about her. Find her. <laughs> yeah. That what she did, she eat something that she wasn't supposed to. No, uh, Doc puts uses the device to put her to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he put her to sleep it, it, along with um, Marty McFly Jr. Right? They, yeah. Didn't he put them both to sleep? Um. So anyway, yeah. She she gets she gets stashed away in a in a back alley, uh, while Doc and Marty try and fix the past. So they go to the yeah. diner, fix the future, which is the in the past because they well, fix fix the future. Because they go to the past future before the thing has happened in the future, which is why <laughs> this thing is, is so fix dumb. Timeline. Yeah. Fix timeline. If, so you say, you say, fix, if you say the timeline, then it's okay. We don't have to get, we don't have yeah. to get semantic about it. <laughs> so they, they, they have to fix the timeline. So they, they go back to the diner, and this is what causes the timeline to change because – Marty is supposed to or Marty Jr. is supposed to get in trouble um, by going with like Biff Jr. Is that his name? No, it's something else. But uh, Biff, 
Griff, yes. Griff, yeah. Yeah, Griff. Griff yeah. Um, <laughs> to get into trouble. And because Marty McFly looks like Marty Jr., um, he mistakes him for him. Uh, and then instead of they, – they go through the same kind of like chase scene with the uh, – the skateboard is it a hoverboard that he uses now i don't remember if this is the first it's a hoverboard. Yeah. It's, yeah. i could, yeah. I could remember the hoverboard happened later but so the hoverboard sequence now happens which is just like from the first movie um and ends up like crashing and griff gets arrested right am i remembering yeah. that correctly yeah he the, yeah he sends him he, he just they go full send into building essentially and and then griff gets arrested and he doesn't end up doing the thing that they're going to do um because of it yep and then so so this is where we mess up the timeline or well i guess fix the timeline for for their purpose yeah um and all's good right the movie's over we can now go back in time yeah, and that um, but before we go any further, I did find it interesting that Marty Jr. was essentially uh, the same as Marty's father when we first find him in the past. Uh, just a pushover, greasy, doesn't know what he's doing, uh, listens to everybody who's bullying him. And I, I thought that was interesting that they're suggesting like being a little bitch skips a generation in the McFly family. <laughs> As long as well, you don't mess with the timeline, of course. Yeah, exactly. It, it's the same. It's the same generation, or, or it's it's genetic. In other words, like it, right. that is Marty McFly. George McFly is his father, but it's just different. George McFly, right? I, I think that works out because if we if we talk, say Seamus is the first one, do we say he's like a kind of like the the simp? I don't think he's a simp, right? No, I don't think so. Okay, so then it goes no. shame then it goes William, who's the son, and William is the great grandfather. So then you'd have the grandfather, but is that his paternal or maternal? It's probably paternal. Well, let's they're just, all McFlies. Let's, yeah, McFly's yeah, let's run with it. It has to be paternal. So it's the paternal grandfather, which we saw in the first movie, right? When he goes back. So then the grandfather has his father which is the simp so it must mean that william is a simp seamus isn't grandfather isn't george is marty isn't marty jr is it works out it works out it skips a generation hey good analysis yeah you're welcome you're welcome (laughs) that's a deep dive that you won't find anywhere else that that is exclusive content only on this podcast franchise flicks you're welcome really breaking down generations of mcflies and their simpiness um so yeah that's a good interesting uh, but yeah um yeah so if we go further from here so no it's not roll credits the movie is not over at this point uh from here uh one thing we skipped over a little bit was biff uh griff's grandfather was in the diner as well and uh later on through the movie when uh marty decides to buy this sports almanac that gives him all the scores and highlights and stats from 1950 to 2000 very specific but uh it gives him those years in particular biff ends up finding that 
in the time in the DeLorean later on, going back in time, biffing the timeline because he has all the sports scores and everything. But we, we actually missed out uh, with super interesting Jennifer here. She ends up uh, getting picked up by the police in the alley. And apparently their, their response uh, to people seemingly sleeping drunk in the alleys just to take them home, which uh, I don't think in real 2015 that would be the response. You'd probably get beaten awake. Uh, but anyway. What? Leave on the police. Oh, okay. That's Well, no, she's a white girl, so she would have... Um, That's true. That's true. You know, at least gotten a ticket for probably being, you know, uh, drunk in public. Um, that's about it. And a slap on yeah. the wrist. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, your home. they they scan her because apparently in 2015, everything is fingerprint scan and all that. And, uh, you know, it it's a little glimpse into our dystopian future, probably. Big brother, but, for sure. Absolutely. So uh, they find out where she lives based on that. And uh, they bring her back. They put her on the couch and they just leave her. And she wakes up to find her future family entering the house. So that's Marty Jr. That's old Marty. Uh, you've got, I think, a sister as well. I don't think we get her name, but I, isn't it the same actress playing her younger? Or no? Uh, I don't remember. It is a different actor for uh, George, though. For George? Yeah, the man upside down is not the same actor. Not? I think it is. No. Nope. I think he's in all the movies. Nope. It isn't. It isn't. Different actor. That's why he's upside down. It's a way to hide it. So it's a clever little way because uh, there was some... I don't remember what the issue is, but I was reading into the, the facts about this, that the mm -hmm. original actor uh, d refused to come back for the second film. So they replaced him with a, either an actor that kind of looks like him or they used like prosthetics, like with the aging um, to, to hide it and then turned him upside down. So which it's really difficult for humans to recognize upside down faces. So that's a, a clever, clever way. That's very clever. Interesting and convoluted way to get away with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I didn't notice it because he had the very wimpy uh, voice going on too. He played it well, I guess. That's funny. Interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, she's super freaked out because she sees all these family members that she knows, but they're super old. Right. And during this sequence, Marty actually gets fired from his job. Whatever his job is, we can't really even tell. Uh, he gets fired for getting into some weird deal with some dude named Needles or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was it was really strange. Uh, yeah. Apparently, his boss from uh, I, I who knows where, but yeah, uh, you know, that. get the get the conference call and he gets fired and uh, he gets a fax saying you yeah. are fired. He gets about um, thirty faxes. They've got about thirty fax machines in the house just in yeah. any given room. Well, because in 2015, we that's what we did. We we communicated mostly yep. by by wall phone and fax, and we're still doing it right now. <laughs> that's how this podcast is being recorded, actually, over fax. <laughs> Just, I'm so glad that they held on to the idea of faxing. <laughs> the, the only place, the only thing that I can think of that uses faxing is like any corporation. Like where I work, we fax some things to like doctors and stuff like that for people. We serve, but that's it. 
but nobody when, else uses faxes in the 80s who who is thinking like you know what's really going to be big in 30 years faxing yeah. that is going to be the way everybody can well, so this is kind of cool to talk about, like, futurology, I think, uh, is something that this franchise does that gets you to think about the future. Think about, like, what sci-fi futuristic shows and movies that we watch today, what technology do they use? Everything is, like, touchscreen. If it's, like, a you have, like, tablets um, or big phones, and now, like, they're, sometimes they're, like, like, glass or, like, hologram type things. And we we probably won't have those. We might have something like that, but we don't know really what that future technology is going to be, or or wearables. We really want wearables to be the future. Everyone's got some kind of like thing, a contact lens that they put in, or like a a, a chip that goes on their their temple. Um, but we probably won't have any of that sort of stuff in the future. Yeah, because we get bullshit like Google Glass or the fucking new Amazon Alexa glasses that just came out. Fuck that noise. <laughs> I, I don't need that shit. So you'd rather you'd rather continue faxing, is what you're saying? Absolutely. I'm a man of the future. <laughs> Back so to the she's, future. Yeah. So <laughs> she, so Jennifer, who's trapped in the uh, McFly house of of 2015. Steals the one of the faxes. She keeps it. She also hears a story in there that uh, the reason why Marty is left is because he got hit or he hit a Rolls Rolls Royce, um, which uh, which comes in handy later on. Um, and so oh oh so she gets through the the house. She's about to leave. Runs into herself. Right, the one thing that Doc Brown says. Make sure we can't run into ourselves. They'll we'll, we'll we'll get shocked and yada yada yada. Um, so she does, um, but Marty they and both Doc, faint, I think yeah, they both faint. And, and Marty and Doc grab her and they just like yeah, they just drag her out. Yeah. Yep. Um. So where do we go from there? So they hop in the door. So this is when Biff has comes back like just in time basically as they're yeah. going back to the DeLorean because he hobbles out. Uh, right. While they're, yeah, while they're rescuing Jennifer, Biff yeah. was, Biff stole the DeLorean and uh, delivered the almanac that uh, Marty threw out Biff. to, to, to Biff 1955 in 1985. Biff. Oh, 1955, 1955, right, right. Yep. 1955 Biff, right. Yep. Um, uh, by the way, if Biff just never returns the DeLorean none of his plan would have failed. He just doesn't have to return it. There's no reason for him to return it. Well, and this is causes an issue in this whole franchise too, is where you get the converging timeline situation. Because like, if the whole thing is when you go back to the past, it changes the future. Yet when Biff does this in the future that they're in, nothing changes, nothing right? Changed. Right. Yeah. Something, things should have changed. As soon as he yeah. goes back, things should have started changing, but they don't. And that's where we get into like crossing the streams of different time travel theories where you've either got the one timeline that gets changed by events that either happen in the future or the past. Uh, if you go back and change those, or you've got the other uh, timeline theory, which I actually subscribe to if like there is actual time travel, which is diverging timelines. So if you change something 
in a timeline, it will just splinter off into a new timeline and you've got two alternate realities from there, but they mix both it. And yeah, they're playing it super fast and loose. Uh, I, I got to assume like everything else in these movies, it's just like, we're not taking it seriously. We're just doing whatever. And we're just having fun with it, but it, it can get a little annoying, I guess. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. Without a doubt. It's, it's very noticeable when it happens. It's like, Oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but, you know, you just roll with it. Yeah. Takes you out of the moment a little bit. But either way, uh, as we keep going on here, um, so Biff returns the DeLorean. Uh, Doc and Marty, thinking that they've saved everything and right. righted all the wrongs, go back to 1985. Uh, so Doc drops Marty off at his house. Marty goes to his house, tries to go in through the fence. It's locked. Uh, so he tries to go in through his window and he goes in through his window, which ends up being the window of uh, a young black girl. And uh, that leads to a super fun sequence where uh, the reasonably mad father comes in with a baseball bat and tries to kill Marty. And he uh, runs out of the house, super confused. And uh, well, before there, that, before that, just I, I think this is so funny. They just left Jennifer on the outside oh, of her porch. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just it, on a bench outside. She, she just gets placed in <laughs> areas and they just hope for the best with her. I just thought that was hysterical. Like there's metal bars on the windows outside. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, just leave her fine. right here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and right after they had a scenario where she almost ruined the timeline again by uh, getting returned to the house that was supposed to be hers in the future, they're like, nah, it'll be fine. Well, I'll just leave her here again. No worries. This particular Jennifer is like, in terms of like the you know, alternate reality, is very scarred. <laughs> this this Jennifer in particular, if you run into her, she's not okay. She's seen some shit. <laughs> she's she not doesn't okay. know what's real and what's not. <laughs> Poor Jennifer. Oh, it's bad. So um, basically, they're in now a dystopian yep. 1985 because yeah. Biff did it. Biff it. changed his future. He really biffed it. I love that verb. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so he changes the timeline. He uses uh, the knowledge from uh, the Sports Almanac to win money in horse races. That's how he starts it off and uh, essentially just bets on a bunch of uh, sports uh, gambles his way into making a bunch of money, parlays that into businesses and uh, more fortune, and just becomes a skis ball business owner. Uh, and it's pretty well documented that he was inspired by Donald Trump, and you can see that in the way he looks physically, in the way he acts, and the, you know the casino part of it, just the sleazy casino, and the the type of people he's around, and the type of things that he seems to think make him look good as far as being a rich guy. I will say this is one of the things I did like about the second movie is that it is kind of a commentary on unfettered capitalism when people are play unfair in the system. This is the result of it. So it is a little bit of that. Uh, at the same time, it does kind of praise the same things, which I would probably disagree with with modern capitalism. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I can appreciate at least they're they're in 1989, I think, when the second one comes out, um, they're commenting on uh, 
these things which are you know relevant problems like capitalism leads to pollution like with outside the casino there's like the smokestacks with fire spewing out of them so i i do like that it is saying that these things are bad yeah even in the time of reaganomics which is yeah. kind of yeah yeah, so from there, uh, we find out uh, not only did Biff Biff everything up, just in general, he biffed up Marty's life as well. So you find out that Marty's dad is dead. We don't know how yet, but we also find out that Biff married Lorraine, uh, and it looked like she was super thrilled about it, too. And she looked just about as consenting in that moment as she is in the car when he tries to sexually assault her. So uh, it clearly she's in a desperate situation, uh, probably marries him for the money and the financial status. Uh, and uh, we do find out later on that uh, Marty's father was actually murdered by Biff. Um, so he sets all of it up between uh, the gambling on future events and actually murdering uh, George McFly to get what he wants it from the beginning, which is to be with Lorraine against her will all the time. So he, he really just sets it up for him to be the number one winner in this future. Present. Past. True. True. Alternate 1985. So, um, well, okay, so we get another interesting uh, Marty and Mom moment here when he ends up waking up in Biff's version of Trump Tower, essentially, uh, to his mother taking care of him, and that's where he sees the giant implants and has the next super awkward sexual tension moment, I guess, with his mother, and uh, from there, he he's finding out and seeing like all these interconnected pieces with Biff and how it all goes back to Biff. Um, and he actually confronts Biff later on and says that he knows about the sports almanac and he knows how he did it all. And uh, after being confronted by Biff, Biff pulls out a gun and says, you know, uh, but my relative, as he calls him, it's really his future self, but he calls him his relative, probably his relative his future self did that so he wouldn't uh, absolutely go insane, which is like the only smart thing Biff ever does in these movies, aside from going back into the past, is uh, make sure that he does not make his uh, past self go absolutely fucking insane. Uh, told him if a young kid and a crazy doctor confront him about this stuff, you gotta fucking kill him. You gotta off him, get him out of here, because they're the only ones who can get in the way of this plan. Which, again, goes back to my comment, if Biff never takes the fucking DeLorean back, we don't have this problem for him. Roll credits. It's the new Biff-verse. But Biff is admittedly stupid. He, yeah. he, he, he knows how stupid he was, especially back in 1955. So, uh... He didn't. I don't think he really ran too much of a risk of uh, confusing Biff more than he already. No, he That's was, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he, but Biff tries to kill Marty uh, because yep. Marty's starting to ask questions, um, but he also thinks it's his son, right? He thinks it's. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing uh, Marty Junior. 
but anyway, so he, he, this is this is now the alternate Marty, um, and uh, and he he gets getting shot up by Biff, uh, drops down the top of Biff Tower <laughs> onto onto the DeLorean. Yep, and uh, I, I do love the sequence when. Uh... The DeLorean flies back up and Doc Brown just opens the door in the DeLorean fashion, just smacks Biff in the face, and then they get away from there. And now they're headed back to 1955 to correct the mistake of Biff getting the almanac in the first place. Exactly. Uh, and th their whole plan hinges on to allowing Biff to get the sports almanac from his... Uh, future self allowing that future self to bring the delorean back but which again that the whole thing hinges on biff being stupid enough to think that he needs to place everything back to where it started essentially so he has to allow him to transfer it to him in some way shape or form and then swipe it from biff from there so then pretty much the rest of the movie is a lot of a rehash of the first movie when they go back to 1955, but with the little added wrinkle of uh, there's this new Marty in that timeline, while there's also the Marty that goes back in the original movie, there simultaneously another Doc Brown there as well. Uh, well, that's the original 1955 Doc Brown there with 1985 Doc Brown at the same time. So they have to avoid each other, and they also have to allow things to happen the way they're supposed to in the first movie, but also try to get things to happen their way as well. So that that's really the hijinks here is uh, trying to toe that line of allowing things to happen the way they did and also trying to stop Biff from biffing everything up. Yeah, it's kind of funny too the way they like basically just remove you a level from the from the original movie. It's basically a retelling in a different perspective. Yeah. Like in a third person perspective yeah. or even fourth person perspective of what happened in the first movie. Uh I thought that was kind of uh clever the way they actually executed that. Um and so yeah, you're right. I mean, they, there's not a whole lot to tell that that differs. My favorite thing is the uh, is when Biff gets knocked out by George McFly, and he goes and takes the almanac. The guy's like, "Hey, that guy just stole that guy's wallet," and then nobody <laughs> I think goes he just after stole him. His wallet. Yeah, and they all just sat there and did nothing about it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, um, yeah, so now it's like this this cat and mouse chase for this almanac, like. Biff knows Marty wants it for whatever reason. Biff wants to murder Marty. Uh, and it's just this cat and mouse until Biff inevitably gets into a pile of shit again. Uh, and Marty uh, torches the almanac. Which, how does that not mess up, like, the the timeline with Biff and everything else? Because does that take place after the events of the um, the dance? It's simultaneous, um, all that stuff. So, like, uh, he's trying to get the almanac from Biff while the dance is going on and allowing everything at the dance to occur the way it normally would, which for the most part it does. But the only thing that really gets in the way is Biff keeps mistaking either Marty for the other, obviously, because it's Marty. The same. Yeah. 
But I can't remember uh, the car scene. Like, where does that take place in this? The car scene takes place after the dance. So what ends up happening is uh, after Marty escapes Biff's goons that he hangs out with in all iterations, uh, he escapes them in the dance and also stops them simultaneously from fucking with uh, other Marty who's playing on stage. If you remember, he drops the sand sacks on them uh, from backstage. Right. And then while he's uh, leaving the auditorium, he takes a second to like gaze on himself talking to his mother and like uh, almost uh, that like meta removing yourself from the situation moment where he's like, ah, I'm just going to take a second to see this and really take it in. And that gives Biff enough time to confront him and uh, th they get into it with one another and uh what ends up happening is the Marty that he was watching opens the door into this Marty and knocks him out. And then Biff is able to steal the almanac again. And then there's a chase scene from there. And uh, it involves uh, Biff's car, obviously. And then Marty on the hoverboard a lot. And they go through the tunnel. Biff tries to kill him again. Vehicular manslaughter is a huge theme in this movie, apparently with Biff. No matter what timeline he's in, he's trying to kill Marty with some kind of vehicle. Um, Biff, Biff is pretty ruthless. He's yeah. a pretty ruthless character. He That's the thing. Death. <laughs> it, he's ruthless until he gets punched in the face by George McFly. That's the only situation that really <laughs> right. like neuters him a little bit. But even in this situation, actually, he still gets punched in the face by George McFly and somehow still ends up as a little bitch boy waxing his car in the future, which is interesting to me. That's it, why it doesn't. That's why I was trying to get it, because like this this plot part right here, this section, the sequence, I think should technically ruin what happens in the future. Because it, mm -hmm. it doesn't line up, in my, unless I'm misremembering it, it just doesn't line up right to fit in with the events that happen in the first movie. You're not no. wrong, but but to play devil's advocate, there are variations in what happened in the past, it, just from the point of Biff getting the almanac. I mean, yeah, that yeah. could have changed his perspective on things. Um, you know, just these small variations. If we're talking about the butterfly effect, any one of those yeah. variations could could you know change the future. Or, or yeah. keep it the same for that matter. I, I guess their assumption is that none of these things are such timeline-altering events that they would really throw a wrench into things. Uh, you know, I, I guess the assumption would be, like, Biff's going to be an asshole no matter what, and he's probably just going to forget about it afterward. So, from there, uh, Marty gets the almanac back. He burns it at uh, Doc's command. But while he's trying to do that... Uh, this is also the night of the lightning storm. So that's going on simultaneously where uh, 1955 Doc is trying to get 1985 Marty back to 1985. And then this Marty and Doc Brown are trying to get their way back as well. Doc Brown is floating in the air in the DeLorean, uh, but there's obviously lightning striking around him. And eventually the DeLorean gets struck by lightning and he just disappears, blips out of existence. So it seems like Marty's stuck in 1955 forever at this point. Then 
to end the movie, essentially, I, I guess there's one more little sequence after that, but Marty gets approached by a car, which for a second you might be thinking is Biff, because you just see headlights and like, oh shit, it's raining, Marty's alone, might be Biff here. No, it's a guy from Western Union saying that we got this letter 70 years ago from this guy named Emmett Brown, and he told me to give it to you at this exact time in this exact place. And, uh, you know, it's a letter from Doc Brown saying, if my calculations are correct, you're going to be right here witnessing me blip off of existence uh, because of the lightning strike. I'm in 1885 now. So he's in the old fucking West at this point. So that sets up the events of the next movie uh, right before Marty's like, shit, I got to get back and save Doc, or at least get my ass back to my timeline. So he goes back and finds 1955 Doc Brown again, moments after he just sent the other Marty back to the future. And he's super confused. He's like, I'm back from the future. So that's really where everything ends off in uh, part two. Right, Scott. And sets up my favorite of the trilogy, which is the third one. Back to the Future really? Part interesting. 3. Interesting. Yeah. Very okay. interesting. Okay. You know what's interesting about, uh, you know, the kind of the end of that movie? So, there's one scene in all three of these movies that you can watch and not know which movie it's from. Do you, the, uh, the the clock tower scene where they actually do the... It's in yeah. every, every movie almost exactly the same. Same footage um, used. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it, that's like the one scene that's perfectly consistent through each movie. I so speaking so of that, one thing that did bother me, and this is probably just something that's like of the time, and I never noticed this as a kid watching these movies, and I don't know if this is uh, true for the theatrical versions, but this one has a very short trailer for the next one. And then going into yeah. the next one, there's a short recap from the last one and i'm just thinking to myself like nobody goes and watches the third in a series of movies without having seen the first two <laughs> and if you do i think that's a crime punishable by death but it, it just bothered me a little bit it's like this isn't a tv show and, and the movies were uh released 1989 1990 two and three so people wouldn't have forgotten and i'm sure if they're going to see it they're watching their vhs of two so that just got to me a little bit. Maybe it's of its time. I don't know if any other movies did that, but it was very weird to see that from a movie standpoint, like previously on. Yeah, no, I agree. The The end of the, the fact that there's like a trailer at the end of Back to the Future 2 is really kind of strange. But yeah, I guess it shows you that they knew what direction they were going the whole time. Yeah. I, I, it felt like a drawn out version of what we get from a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where the, the movie ends and then they have the text, uh, Ant-Man will be in Avengers Endgame. It's like, okay, Thank didn't you. have to tell me. You're right. <laughs> like, all right, cool, thanks. Uh, <laughs> did, did did Back to the Future 2 seem like the longest movie of all time? Oh, I hated it. It did, it. because you're watching the first movie again for half of it. Yeah. They save I themselves just... from having to write half of a movie by just introducing the plot point that he has to get the almanac back. Yeah. I. It was not all that long, but it seemed like it lasted forever. Just because it's just... 
so many acts that they had to go through. Yeah. You know, I just, I, well, yeah, I just it, wanted to point that out about this movie. No, it, it, you're not wrong. And uh, to, to go a little further on that, just like break it down quickly. You start that movie off with uh, where it leaves off in the first one, where you got to go back and do something about your kids. And that lasts about 15 minutes. And then the rest of the movie is how Biff biffed up the timeline and then going back to stop that. So yeah, it, it's a lot of threads going on in the same movie a lot of things to get from point A to point B. And it's like A, B, C, D, back to B. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was a lot. Um, it's a but lot yeah, of jumping. It, it's interesting. And I, I think they all had a similar runtime of like an hour and 55 minutes or something like that. So uh, for that to feel longer was, uh, yeah. Yeah, not drug. even. It's it's just over 100 minutes for each movie. Yeah, I'm trying to look up the time. I'm looking up the third one right now, and you, if this is one true, of, once I confirm, it's the, actually the shortest movie of the it's three. It's the shortest movie, but it seems like the longest yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, it actually is. Uh, oh, that's the first one again. It is. It's 108 is uh, the runtime for Back to the Future 2, 116 for Back to the Future 1, and 119 for Back to the Future 3. Yeah, so, yep, it's the shortest, <laughs> yet it feels the, like the longest. It feels like the longest movie. Not only of this trilogy, period, I think just <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, and I think when you end up saying that about a movie, it's usually not a good thing about it, I guess. It's... it's it, it's not the strongest part of this movie for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it just, it, it takes too much out of you, I think. Um, yeah. But, uh, well, I, it's not to say I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's well, not take too much out of our listeners and move on to the next one. Unless Andy. Has no, I just wanted to say, I didn't like it. I, I didn't <laughs> like this one. <laughs> Andy, a lot. A lot. I got, I got that vibe. Uh, so let's get into the third one. So, yeah. Um, from where it left off, Marty finds Doc in 1955, and he explains the whole situation to him, and it's another sequence of Marty trying to explain to the skeptical Doc Brown about what is going on here and uh, how they're going to get him back to the past now at this point. Right. So... Um, and the, the other thread in this, too, was Doc Brown in his letter explicitly states not to go back to save him, that he's happy living in the old West. Uh, he, I think he makes a comment in the thing that he uh, wanted to be a cowboy when he grew up uh, or when he was a little boy, he wanted to be. So, it, you know, he, he sounds like he's happy there, but then, so actually the motivation here right now is just getting Marty back to his timeline at this point. Cause it seems like doc is happy where he is. And Marty seems like he's at peace with that. He's not going to go against his wishes. So they go to, I guess, a mine where... Yeah, uh, it's like a closed-down, like, train mine that they have to go into and dig out the DeLorean that yeah. Doc Brown hid there back in 1885. Yeah, so it's hidden behind a wall in the mine. So uh, first they blow the mine with dynamite, and then they kind of chisel away at a spot that has uh, Doc Brown's initials where it's boarded off and uh, they get the, the DeLorean out and uh, they hitch it up to the uh, truck to tow it away. And Marty on his way out notices a gravestone that says Emmett Brown. Uh, and it says, I think seven days after uh, the letter was sent. Yeah. It gives a very specific, uh, not the date, um, which is uh, odd, cause the cause of death, right? <laughs> 
like a message uh, no, to Marty. They, they go they go to the library to find that. No, no, no. They, they find on no, the no. no, it's the gravestone. It, it's literally on the gravestone. Yeah, the gravestone. It says it Buford, say shot in yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah, shot in the back <laughs> by this guy. Over eighty dollars. <laughs> it even yeah. says like the the amount of money. And I think there's also a little message about how he's uh, got a woman that he loves at that time. Yeah. Isn't that also yes. on the gravestone as well? Beloved Clara. Yeah. Clara. yeah. Yep. So the gravestone is the greatest plot device of all time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what sets in motion Marty thinking, okay, well, now I've got to go back and warn Doc that he's going to die in seven days and that his letter was pretty much all for naught and he's not going to really get to enjoy himself in his Old West retirement, essentially. Right. So from there, what is it that they use as fuel to get him back? Uh, they it has enough plutonium. That isn't right. the issue. Uh, they don't. There's no issue. In fact, um, it's it's working just fine. the The problem is when they they go through back in time. Um, Marty's worried about running into the wall with the Indians, but then when he actually goes back in time, there are Indians charging at him. So he has to turn the DeLorean around and goes on this crazy, like, run through the desert in the DeLorean uh, and gets away, finds a cave. But in the process of all of that, he cut the gas line. And so the DeLorean, in, now it's in the past, loses all of its gasoline. Right. And he hides the DeLorean in a cave uh, after he. Uh, runs away from the indigenous people. Andy. Yeah, okay, I, indigenous I, people. I corrected myself in my head as soon as I said it. It's what he refers to him, and I actually said it out loud. I was like, "That's racist." Um, you could also call them uh, football teams. Football yeah. teams. Yeah. The, yeah, that's the Washington. That's football one of my team. favorite new jokes now. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that that's pretty dated. They call them Indians, and uh, it, it is a fun sequence though because uh, it sets it up right there. You know there are going to be Native Americans running right at him the moment he goes into the past. So yeah, he hides the DeLorean. Uh, he goes into town in his super ridiculous cowboy getup. Uh, that is like a joke of a cowboy getup while wearing Nikes because he has to uh, throw his boots down because there's a bear in the cave as well. Yeah, that chases him away. Hold on, we can't forget though because he doesn't go into town yet. He he hits his oh, head because right. this is this this motif that gets Recurring, played through, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. over and over again because he smacks his head when he falls down the hill running away, uh, and he's awakened again uh, by his mother. Um, cleaning him up who's not his mother but it's his great 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 grandmother who's played by on his, on his dad's side on his dad's side yeah <laughs> so that's what brought scene. up yeah i mentioned it <laughs> earlier but yeah if if she's gonna look the way she does there's been incest going on in the mcfly family forever it's incept inception Incestion, really coming out right off the tongue. Yeah, <laughs> I did not. I had it in my head, and then I tried saying it loud. Incestion. I, I think you got to leave that p out. It, the p is really what gets you there. I think. Incestion. But I don't know if that's incestion. The I don't know. I don't think that's enough. I think either way, yeah. incestion. We get what you're talking about, but yeah, she's they're they're just they're Irish immigrants that came to America for a better life, which apparently they are leading. 
but it is still the old west and nothing was uh, very good <laughs> in the old west so uh marty uh just sits down for dinner, has a gross dinner with some gross water, and uh, <laughs> looked getting really worms nasty. from that water. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, then he gets a hat and he goes to find Doc Brown. Yeah, he's got to go find the blacksmith in town. The blacksmith. Doc so that, that's why he ends up entering the saloon. Uh, which is a fun little sequence because, again, he enters in this ridiculously hokey cowboy getup. Uh, guys comment that uh, the circus is in town, and uh, I, I'm surprised they didn't make any pejorative remarks about him looking like a fruity boy or something like that, uh, especially with uh, the Indians comment we get earlier. But either way uh he goes up to the bartender uh after ordering a drink he says he's looking for the blacksmith and in comes buford tannen the great great relative ancestor i guess of biff tannen and he's this greasy nasty he's got like black coal dust or whatever the fuck on all over him uh he's just some old west uh dastardly douchebag i guess and uh comes in with his usual gang of douchebags with him and mistakes him for seamus mcfly who's also played by michael j fox in this by the way i don't know if we mentioned that uh but that's why he mistakes him for him he realizes it's not him because he doesn't have the red hair and the beard and uh can't really remember what exactly happens right off the bat there is it well, kind of the similar sequence the that happens thing. in the diner they, he calls him yeah. yellow Yep. yep. <laughs> he calls him That's yellow right. instead of chicken. Um, yep. Because Marty apparently just can't handle being called uh, chicken or well, being told that he's afraid. That's his character flaw. He He's yep. insecure about the idea of feeling weak. And that stems from probably the perception of his father uh, as being this meek individual. Uh, and he views that as a, a negative thing. And right. it gets him in trouble yep. often. Uh, in fact, I think it, we can argue it's the only thing that gets him in trouble throughout this entire franchise. Unlike uh, other our protagonists who might be their dick because they're after a love interest, Marty, it's getting called yellow. Yeah. Chicken. <laughs> you know what? There are worse character flaws, I guess. It's the only thing wrong with him, apparently, in these movies. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it. That's the only reason why he gets these situations. Um, so of course he takes the bait, starts fighting. Um, but then he literally gets shot at, which is a, a variation on what we've seen in the past. He is, uh, met with gunfire. Uh, so he just, he, he runs and I don't, th we don't get like the same type of chasing that we have gotten in the last two movies with, uh, with Biff and Marty. No, he, right. There's not really like the same. Yeah, but Biff has chase. way more success in this one, actually. Yeah. Ends up chasing him down. And, uh, well, first of all, I just remembered the funny scene where he's dodging uh, Biff's shots at his feet, and he's doing the moonwalk the in his Nikes, yeah. which, is, uh, which is just pretty fun. Uh, I guess they really like Michael Jackson in these movies. The writers... Uh, well, no, it's a huge icon. Yeah, like that's like the, yeah. the number one pop icon. Yeah, he couldn't do any wrong at that point, I guess, as far as his public image was concerned. 
So anyway, uh, yeah, Biff actually catches up to him and he makes the remark, uh, we just built this, uh, this new, uh, town hall or whatever i i guess it's the law it's building. the court it's the, 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 the court yeah, yeah no but it's the no i couldn't think of that is getting built house but they just built the courthouse might as well put oh, yeah. it to use right right, yeah, right i right. just couldn't think of the word uh so yeah he says uh we just built this courthouse so let's have a hanging so he uh wraps a noose around his neck and strings him up and it's only when doc brown comes in and shoots uh the noose with his super newfangled looking rifle that he's got. And uh, it, it's it's a different play on uh, the threads in the original two movies, because usually it's Biff having issues with either Marty or his father in the first two movies. But this time, there's a clear grudge between Biff and Doc Brown from this point. And that's where we get into the whole dispute over the $80. And uh, I, I guess he was supposed to repair a horseshoes or something. Yep. And uh, it, it messed up his horse's leg. He ends up killing the horse, uh, executing it, whatever. And uh, he's upset about that. But also at the same time, uh, he didn't pay Doc Brown for the service. So uh, Doc considers them even at that point. So that's really their big beef. How long was Doc there before marty got back is i i want i thought i remembered it was only like a couple of days right no we don't know when he actually went back that part is not clear because we don't know the time we just know he went back to the he says i went back to 1885 now i'm like living my life out here we don't know how long he's been there at that point Oh, go ahead. I thought he, I thought he put that into the DeLorean for they before they were going to or before they that that moment. Oh, did they? I, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, he he did, and I, I I think there was an issue with the panel where it kept like flashing one date and then going back to another in the second movie oh. was the issue. Um, so I think it was supposed to be like uh. It was defaulting for some reason back to that date, which I think Doc Brown wanted to go back to. He talked about it, uh, but I, I guess we'd probably have to go back and like slow down that scene exactly where he's in the DeLorean right before he gets uh, the lightning bolt to the DeLorean and shoots him back. I guess what's really important here is that Marty only goes back a couple of days before Doc Brown's supposed to die. Right. Yeah, five days. Yeah. So presumably Doc Brown could have been there for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, who even knows at that point, but he establishes himself as a blacksmith. That's his trade in the town at that point. Right. And he's, and he's been pretty busy. He's got a super cool gun. He's got a super yep. cool refrigerator. Um, <laughs> produces one ice cube. Produces one ice cube. Uh, and he's just, you know, living in successfully, like as successful Absolutely. as you can be in 1884. Well, and this is why I like this movie, because you go back to the past, and we know the past, we're familiar with it, because we've written this history already, and it self-references all the stuff from the previous movies, like um, the like Rue Goldberg machine. He has that again in the past. Uh, yep. We see it as like the refrigerator, right? Is this whole like crazy contraption just to get like one ice cube produced. And then a little later, we see like his whole breakfast routine again. Uh, but this time, you know, in the 1850s where you got or wait, not 1850s. Um, 
1885 yeah and it like has a chicken that lays an egg uh then that cracks and lands on the pan so uh, like i like that because it's self-referencing but i also like because it's all these things we're familiar with so totally yeah so um doc brings him back to his 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 shop i guess is where his house you know whatever to, to his dwelling and uh and they start talking about, you know, all right, how do we got to get back? I told you not to come here. Um, Marty explains, okay, you're going to die. Like, you're, I'm here because you you died. You die five days from now, and we have to stop it. And so that that kind of sets off, you know, the rest. That the, the plot is that they have to they have to stop Doc from dying, um, so they can get back to to 1985. Um, but but there is a hiccup. There's a hiccup. There's a little bit of a hiccup here. Hiccup is he's supposed to fall in love with someone and he's like, what? I can't fall in love with anyone. It's impossible. And then uh, like the mayor shows up and is like, hey, doc, you're going to you're going to go pick up that teacher. Right. When she gets out of the train station and he goes, yes, I'll do that. And then he's like to Marty, no, we're not going to do that, because if I avoid running into her, then there's no way I can fall in love with her. And uh, secure our path, and we can just hop back in the DeLorean, and we're good to go. Yep. So uh, from there, they go. I, I can't remember what they're doing when they're out there. Uh, do you remember what they're doing right before they encounter her? Well, well they they talk. They're just talking in a shop, and then he she comes by. No, no, no. no uh, so the the encounter with her is uh, her horses on her stagecoach are going wild and like are not responding to her commands and uh, she's just going full speed with these horses and they're gonna careen off a cliff if they don't intervene. I just can't remember exactly what they're doing right before that. Why they're out there? Do you remember? I think it's the because they have the plan. Oh, so with the thing we left out too is that the DeLorean uh, had the gas leak. So it has no gasoline. Right. So this is where they they have to come up with the plan to they're That's gonna it is. Yeah, yeah. use trains to get it moving. Yeah. So yeah. they go. I think maybe it's to like inspect the train or something like that. I don't remember because he asked. They're like, looking at the train track actually because yeah. it ends. And uh, he explains to Marty that uh, once you're shot into the future, this bridge will be finished and you won't have to worry about falling off here. Yeah, so that's when they hear, like, her screaming, basically, on the horse, because the horse is gone, like, it got scared from a snake, we learn out. So that's, like, the the trigger for them to go rescue her. Yeah, so they rescue her from going off the cliff. Uh, The the coach goes off the cliff. Did the horses go, too? I don't remember. No, the horses, because, like, they keep, they turn um and right. like it crash turns the cart crashes and that's what tumbles over the edge right 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 um yeah so uh saves her it ends up being uh mary steenburgen from uh several movies that everybody loves uh like uh stepbrother she's the mom in that it, she's very decorated uh good character actress i guess and uh they fall in love at first sight uh it he falls in love with her just because she's a beautiful academic and uh, he saves her and that they have so much in common. And, you know, despite his best efforts to avoid all of this, he ends up going on the path of the timeline anyway, falling in love with her and 
thus inserting that plot thread that he falls in love with her and makes everything very difficult as far as his decision whether or not to go back to his original time. Well, and I I don't know if this has been said in any of the other movies at this point, but I think this is where they introduce the concept of, like, fate, that there are things that are, like, meant to happen in the timeline because, like, they avoided her, but then yet they get back to her, and this is where it's like, oh, I guess it was fate. Or it's the power of love. Power of love. Power of love. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Now we can end the podcast. No. Um, <laughs> so... What do we get into from there? I, I'm sorry, I'm really having a hard no, time. No, this is my, I like this one. So I, I remember this one. And plus it helps okay. that we just watched it today too. Um, so at this point in time, um, they go back to the shop to like finalize their plans because we have to get a, a demo version of it because that's what Doc does, right? He likes to show us a little model, uh, but it's not to scale. So, you know, he's just got to remind Marty of that because that's his thing. He's a scientist and wants everything to be right. So they're they're going through like their plan and they reference that there's a point of no return that once we get to this part where it's like the windmill, um, it's either going to send them into the future or it's not going to work and they're going to die. So this is this is like all the stakes there. This is either going to work and they they are successful or it doesn't work and they're fucking dead. Um, and then they get interrupted uh, by the teacher, whatever her I forget the character, Bella, not Bella. Claire. Clara. Clara. Yeah. Clara. Uh, she shows up because she's got her telescope and she wants to get fixed by Doc. And uh, Marty's trying to like say no, like we got other things. And of course, Doc's in love. So he's like, yes, of course, I'll do it. And she's like, oh, great. Um, I want to pay you. And Doc's like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, I'll get to work on it right now. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want you to do that because tonight's the festival and you got to like do the festival and he's like oh of course i'll be there so now marty's like no doc we gotta like focus on our plan why are you taking us on this side quest here we gotta get to work on it and he's like no marty it's fine like we'll be able to do this and meanwhile it's just because he's in love so they uh they go to the festival at the night and they're hanging having a good time but uh past biff uh mad dog Mad Dog uh, B- Buford Mad Dog Tenant. Yeah, Buford Mad Dog Tenant shows up with his crew there, uh, and they're not supposed to have guns, so they meet with the sheriff check their and iron. check their iron in and go in. But meanwhile, Buford has a, a singleton shot, so he plans on killing. Um, I don't think it's it is Doc. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna kill Doc at this part so right um he confronts him there's this whole confrontation but meanwhile Seamus and his wife have showed up and they're talking to marty and he sees the the pot pie thing or like the pan from the pie and it says frisbee on it and he's like oh cool frisbee and um whatever which happens to be the thing that he uses to throw at buford's gun uh causing him to miss his shot uh and not killing um doc Right, which is another turn in the timeline because yep. he was supposed to shoot him there, even though this was early from what they initially thought. They thought he was going to die two days later, but because yeah, he probably as, wouldn't have been there. Well, what Buford said was that he was gonna he was gonna shoot him, and it would just it, like it, it, the, that that gun couldn't kill him, so instead it was just gonna let him bleed out and infect. And he's like, "Yeah, it'll be a yep. slow, painful death, and you'll die probably two days later." Yeah. Um, 
and so that's when you know they're you're like oh this is this is actually when it was supposed to happen they just got caught off guard but marty saves the day no i don't no i think it, it, it wasn't supposed to happen that's the point is that this should have happened later but it didn't it happened sooner but it was going it was a fate right this it's gonna is, happen anyway it's right? gonna happen anyways that's the concept that's why i wasn't sure what was, was introduced in the previous films but it it's sure. introduced in this one that like things are inevitably going to happen just maybe not the way they were originally you can't control everything yeah right yeah, the power of love point. the power of love so yeah, so uh, you're right. Uh, the, uh, Marty saves Doc with a frisbee, uh, which is a little pie dish. Apparently, the frisbee pie dish. Yep. Um, and then he gets the gun. And, well, actually, uh, Buford challenges him to a duel in the middle of town at eight o'clock on Monday because he couldn't make it the next two days. He had things going on. Yep, busy. Busy man. had a rob. He had a uh, rob, uh, rob a station of something. He had a lot, lot to do, so he couldn't be bothered on. Um, he said, Monday, I'll be free. We can, and, you know, somebody will die. Um, yeah, and that actually works out for Doc and Marty as far as their plan, because they're supposed to fuck off the hell out of there before that. So at least just according to their plan, Doc obviously says, you know, anything could happen, which is foreshadowing to things not quite going according to plan. But uh, yeah, so he's challenged to the duel and uh, that's a little plot thread for later on, but uh, Doc gets closer to Clara uh, and kind of builds on their love. Uh, I guess we assume they get it the fuck on uh because they've got a they've got a passionate kiss and uh later on in the movie she seems to imply that they did something there um that well, he used Fox, her dude well God. even in <laughs> even in like the immediate like next day scene after like their their date night or whatever doc's guy's coat on his shoulder he's all yeah, happy right. and like that's a man yeah. who just got laid that's exactly what that is <laughs> yep. yeah he's humming God, the power God. of love as he walks home yeah so from there I guess we can, I don't think much happens between then. So they make the preparations and everything. They've got the plan. Uh, but because he's so in love with her, Doc is torn between going back and staying where he is. And he tells Marty he wants to stay. And then Marty eventually convinces him that they've got to go back. They don't belong there. They can't do it, whatever. And, uh, so they're trying to devise what to tell her because you can't just tell her that you're from the future and that you got to go back to your time, that you don't belong here. So he goes to kind of let her down easy, I guess, in his own way, but probably isn't easy. Uh, she gets super upset with him, says that she was used by him, and then tells, her to, tells him to be honest with her. And then he is honest with her, tells her that he's from the future and then she gets even more upset doesn't believe him of course and slams the door on him and uh she prepares herself to leave town a day after accepting a job as a teacher i guess she's leaving town <laughs> <laughs> i don't know uh but yeah she's uh very upset and she's gonna get out of there because she thinks that uh she cannot coexist there with the man who just used her in her mind yeah she really reacted poorly 
Yeah. And Absolutely. That, and that sets off Doc because now he's a, a sad man. And yep. what do sad men do after a breakup? They got to get drunk. Get hammered. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly what he doesn't do uh, for the entire time that he's at the bar until the last second. So he goes to the bar. He asks for some whiskey. The bartender warns him. Remember the last time you're basically a lightweight. Um, so pretty much overnight while Marty sleeps, he just stands there with a shot in his hand and holds it the entire time while uh, discussing the future with some of the uh, the bar regulars there. And uh, they don't believe him. They think he's so far-fetched and saying all these things about what's going on in the future. And uh, that's where uh, Marty wakes up. He goes to the bar, finds Doc Brown there. Uh, and right at that moment, he convinces Doc Brown to go and that they're ready to go and uh, that they kind of got to get over Clara, go do their thing, and they got to get back because they're on a strict timeline here. He takes the shot and he just passes the fuck out immediately. Which is um, great. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, and the bartender even yells, like, don't, right before he does it, because he's seen what happens to Doc, uh, especially with that kind of shot. So he is out for the count at that point. They concoct some kind of wake-up drink of, like, pickle juice, hot sauce, all this other shit. Uh, I don't remember exactly what else goes into it, but it's all nasty-ass shit. Kind of gets him back to coherency, but uh, he he's not quite there yet. So while he's getting back to Biff comes along because they're taking way too much fucking time and he's calling out Marty for the duel and Marty is trying to avoid it in every way, shape or form because it, their entire plan hinged on them not doing it. And he even says, uh, I forfeit. I forfeit the duel. <laughs> What's uh, that Biff mean? Does, yeah. Biff doesn't know what forfeit means. He asks his uh, douchebag partners what it means. And uh, he's like, well, you can't do that. I'm just going to kill you. So th they have to go and do the duel. Well, they run out the back door. So I, I like the line because right. like, he's escape, like, yeah. do, you, do you guys have a back door here? And he goes, yeah, in the in the back. <laughs> goes, where back door would be. Uh, and so they, <laughs> they run out and they're trying to hide. Marty gets away, but Doc gets caught. So then he Buford uses Doc as like a leverage to get Marty to come out and face the duel. Meanwhile, Marty like knocked into like a iron thing. I don't remember what, like a like fireplace. A stove. Yeah, stove door. Yeah. Uh, nice little foreshadow that he's going to use that ultimately as kind of like a bulletproof vest. So sure enough, they have the standoff. Uh, Marty throws down his gun and belt and says like, let's do this like real men, uh, not fight with guns, fight with our fists. And Buford's like, no, I'm not going to do that and shoots him. Um, and you think Marty's dead. The whole town is like converging on him, like to see what's going on over the body. And that's when he goes, Buford goes to shoot him like one more time, but Marty kicks the gun out and they get into a nice fisticuffs match. Um, they have their fight. And once again, uh, the Biff character gets knocked out into, um, a pile of manure <laughs> in this case. As is his destiny. As is his destiny, yes. Will never change. That, that's the power of love for Biff. He always gets connected with that manure. <laughs> it's very funny. I like it. 
but this all takes way too long. Like they they should have been like at the train by now, ready to go. They weren't even close. Um, so they rush over to the train. Well, thankfully, get... um, uh, Maurice, what's her name? Clara. Clara. <laughs> Maurice. I don't know. I Where just are you I, getting these names. I just like making up female leads <laughs> characters' names now. So Maurice uh, isn't even a female name. It isn't sort of unisex, I guess. No, anyway. it's more of a man's name. Okay. Anyway. So Clara, um, she stops the train to get off of it because she overhears the dude behind her who is at the bar listening right. to Doc profess his love for this woman. So that triggers her to realize, oh, my God, it was real. Um, he does love me. Now I'm going to go, like, back to him. So she stops the train, which kind of, like, makes up for that time that they lost to get to it. So it's kind of like yep, perfect absolutely. happenstance. Yeah, so they just get to the spot in time to be able to start. Well, they get onto the train yeah. to, to, to stop the train and basically hijack it, uh, get rid of all the other carts and stop the train right in front of the DeLorean. I, I like the real quickly the line, though, here um, where the train conductor goes is is this a like a heist or something like that and doc pauses he goes uh, it's for science or this is an experiment <laughs> yeah yeah it was a fun line um yeah so from there they park it in front of the delorean uh they put some tires between them to kind of cushion the blow between uh the train and the delorean and they get on their way to getting it up to speed and the plan is uh, Marty's in the DeLorean operating it and getting everything ready there. And Doc is going to operate the train. And he's eventually going to climb his way from the train to the DeLorean, join Marty, and they're going to go back to 1985. Uh, I will say that logistically, it's probably smarter to have the young guy operating the train and having to climb from it into the DeLorean. Uh, but obviously, we couldn't have what happens next, which is... Clara on horse catches up to the train, makes up all that time, catches up. Uh, she gets on the back of it while it's still picking up speed slowly. Right though, and as it gets to the the first like initial like burst of speed, right, and yep. she's hanging on <laughs> the back, flapping in the wind. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, and a she's fun shot. she's yelling for him, and he can barely like he hears something. He's like, eh. And uh, just keeps ignoring it until finally she gets his attention when he's about to get onto the DeLorean uh, by honking the the whistle or horn, I guess, on the train and gets his attention that way. And his plan is to get her from there, save her and for them to all go back to 1985 to save all of them. Uh, so hijinks ensue of course and uh it's a very tense scene where uh they're both hanging on for dear life she's hanging upside down basically with her dress caught on the train and it's ripping more and more classic trope of uh the rope or whatever just ripping more and more until finally she falls uh marty ends up saving her by uh launching the hoverboard back to doc he uses it to kind of get his footing a little bit but then uh saves her and somehow they're on the hoverboard going the same speed as the train at some point and they're just floating off it, it is going. what it is right. it, you know it, it's 
logic, as you can tell, does not matter in these movies. And it's just a nice scene where they're able to float off. But unfortunately, they're not going back with Marty. But he has to make the quick decision to get everything ready for him to uh, get up to speed and uh, go back to 1985. So he gets over it pretty quickly, closes the door, gets everything ready, and uh, goes seemingly off the uh, the track. And, and the train actually crashes, which I thought was cool because they actually crashed a train for this scene. Yep. Just a really fun, cool scene to see practically as it was done. It Maybe it was a model. I don't know. No, but it, it was definitely like it was a real train. Definitely a real. That was Steven Spielberg saying, we got, if you want this movie. That's fucking cool. You got to blow up a train. Yeah. It was fucking well, cool. A DeLorean, at least. No, it's a train. The, the train. No, the, the, the train. So, so the DeLorean goes back to 1985, but the, but the train, train has oh, no the, more track to goes, go on. I, I understand. Yeah. I thought you were yeah, saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. in the future. Sorry. I, I kind of yeah, skipped I, that part. Um, but yeah, I just really like that scene from a practicality standpoint. Like it was, as Andy is saying now, confirming it was a real train. Uh, looked fucking cool. Just really a good excuse to crash a train, you know? I wish I had that excuse to do something like that. <laughs> so anyway, from there, Marty's back in 1985. He's on the train tracks. Uh, everybody's yelling at him because there's a train coming and he's delirious from traveling in time. Doesn't realize what's happening right away. Kind of uh, almost like shell shocked in one of those moments. If like somebody threw a flashbang, almost like he didn't seem like he could hear anybody. He was kind of delirious. So Finally, he sees that there is a train coming and he has to split second get out of the DeLorean. So he jumps out. The DeLorean is just shattered into a million pieces. And what did Doc tell him several times before that, though? When you get back, destroy the DeLorean. So the train does it for him. He doesn't have to worry about it. Looks like he's a little sad about it. But either way, uh, he's back to his original timeline, uh, the one that he had altered originally. What does he do from there? Goes back home, right? He goes back to his house. Um, he sees that the, the future is, or the present is similar um, to where it would have been fixed after the events of the second film. So he thinks all is good. The, the, is the second film or the first one? I, it, after the like original family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the first one. Yeah, yeah. after the first one. So that's what. Uh, yeah. Back to what it should have been by the end of the second one had yeah. he not gotten st stuck back in time and then right. was able to to make it back. So, so all no, is right again. And, yep. Yeah. The timeline has been restored to the fixed version because um, it's been changed already since 1950, right. uh, but it's it's fixed now. Uh, his Biff is back to being a, a a simp for the McFly family, um, and you know things things seem to be right. Uh, he has to go find his girlfriend Elizabeth uh, to like. <laughs> now you're just doing an upper to <laughs> to to do their their thing or whatever. Um, He's uh, notably still on the porch bench. Yeah, still she's still sleeping. Yeah. She uh she just woke up. Um, to his one kiss. and a half movies, she's been on a porch bench, and so she's got. That's interesting. <laughs> she's got this. Uh, still that piece of paper though. Um, from the last the movie, the facts. Correct. Yep. Uh, but they uh, they hop in his truck thing or whatever, and they're just gonna like you know do whatever they do, and they're driving along, and they get to a red light, and this other 
cars next to him is like hey nice truck thing man let's race and marty's like no and then he calls him chicken or something like a coward and marty's like all right now i've got to race this motherfucker so the light goes green and it's like oh no he's gonna race him and we should know as the audience like he's gonna make a, a mistake or something uh, that causes his downfall. And Doc had told us previously, like, Marty, some people just got to make their own decisions. Um, so instead of racing, he does that quick, like, turnaround maneuver to go backwards. Um, and he watches the car go forward that's supposed to be racing. And at an intersection, a roll, a, what's the car? Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce comes out and puts on its brakes. And Marty realizes, oh, my God, if I had, you know, gone through with racing him i would have crashed into the car and uh that was the the event or whatever uh and then yeah, and then the paper the the paper it, it, it the you're fired disappears from the paper jennifer said it. Yeah. um super climactic uh this the, the, and it, it goes to, it goes to show that your future is not written future's not change. written yeah. yep so God literally uh, says that when he comes back. On, that's true. Uh, yeah, on it's very his, on the nose. <laughs> on his new, his new time machine, uh, which was made out of a steam engine. It, it's actually pretty fucking cool. <laughs> it's uh, awesome. Yeah, it, it looks great. He comes back with uh, Clara, and he's got a whole family with him. He's got two kids, one named Jules, one named Vern, after their favorite author. And uh, he essentially came back just to say, Marty, I'm okay. I don't want you to worry about me. We're happy. We're doing our thing. And look, I've got a fucking time machine if I ever want to come and see you ever again. And then he drops the theme of the movie on everybody, too, at the same time, which is uh, just very on the nose. But, hey. That's what these movies are about. That's what Doc Brown is in particular. Yep. Um, so that really concludes the series. Um, as far as it. the plot and everything, uh, we kind of wrap up our, our final thoughts on everything. Sure. Um, you know, because we we pretty much hit on what we needed to within the episode. But you know, I I really like this trilogy, really for one reason, and it kind of gets into like my ranking movies themselves. But it just seems like one big, long, goofy time travel adventure. And there's no reason to take it seriously. There are some, you know, cheesy 80s, you know, feel good messages that your, you know, your your future is is dependent on your choices now. And every choice you make uh, can can change that. So make good choices. Um, But it's just it's just fun. You know, it's 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 just easy to easy to turn the brain off and think about dumb pseudoscience. Yeah, I wish I could agree with you, Zach, but I don't. I uh, don't like these movies. Uh, that being said, I will say this has been, I think, the best franchise we've reviewed so far in the podcast. Uh, even though I didn't like it, I will say that this one—it's three stories that all fit together. From beginning to end, there's clear direction in what they want to do with them, the story that they want to tell, and 
I ultimately do, I like the first one and I like the third one. I like the third one the most. And I tend to like when things do the self-referential, they, they wrap up all of the little plot, not holes, but the, the threads that were let loose from the other two movies. And it concludes it very nicely in this film. And I love that. I was like, wow, it actually like completed the trilogy that it set out to do. It didn't become some weird thing by the end that wasn't true to itself before. So for this one, in particular the third movie I, I i loved it for that reason i think it ended this franchise really nicely and thankfully there will not be um a back to the future part four uh because it filled its own story very nicely yeah well you know if hollywood can figure out a way to do it they fucking will they'll try fortunately <laughs> um yeah but i agree with your main points there uh you know very consistent franchise uh it might not be the best individual movies across a franchise but it, the entire thing knew what it was from the beginning and they clearly had a plan for it as evidenced by uh the transitions from one movie into another at the end of each movie so uh there was a clear through line there uh that very self-referential which is fun to pick up on those little things as you go uh, it's also fun to see the same actors playing different roles, but also similar roles at the same time. It's almost like uh, it's the original version of the idea that something like, uh, let's say, American Horror Story, where they have all of the same actors playing different characters in each season. So it's a different story being told, but uh, not exactly the same because all of these characters are related by blood to uh, the people either from the past or the future, but just kind of a similar thread to that. Um, yeah, it, it was very enjoyable too. It, it's, it's inoffensive, it's easy to watch, easy to turn your brain off, like you said, Zach, and uh, it's a good family franchise to watch as well. You don't have to think too much about it. It's not serious, but it has some good messages in it about self-confidence, about uh, making your own future and you know, writing your own story, essentially. And uh, yeah, the, you can't really ask for more from a franchise like this. I will say, I think that, you know, you mentioned it's a it's a family, good family franchise. I think it would have been back uh, in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> yeah. I think now, I don't know that I would want my son watching Back to the Future, because, yeah. I mean, at least without caveat, because it's a different time. Yeah, it, it's one of them when you sit down with your kid, you got to say, all right, listen, this was made in a different time. Apparently, it was funny to make jokes about uh, how hot you thought your mom was. Uh, just take it with a grain of salt. Have fun with it. So, yeah, maybe family is not the right word for it, but definitely for the time. That's kind of what we always come back to when we watch these older franchises is, uh, well, for the time uh seemed kind of innocent and especially when a kid is watching it it's stuff that goes right over their head because there's all this fun stuff happening with the time travel and the car and the fights and the chase scenes and everything like that so maybe from that standpoint if uh your kid's young enough to not understand what's going on on the other parts of it uh the, the plot points around it then maybe it's a fun family franchise but yeah uh, if you're watching it with like your teenage son you probably have to give him the old nudge caveat like hey uh look this was a different time uh yeah it's not gonna line up with what you believe in uh what your current 
generations thinking of things is. Indian is a racist term. Yeah, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm my bad. I'll 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 repent for it. I'll give myself <laughs> right. five lashings. Well, I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's that that that's a good way to top that off. Um <laughs> I don't know. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about? We didn't touch on music at all. Oh, ah, how do we forget this? Well, cuz Alan Silvestri that yeah. was one of the things I did really like about this trilogy. Um, yeah, it's a good again, call. Again, the music cues. It's Alan Silvestri is not my favorite of the classical um, type composers for movies, uh, like in the, the realm of John Williams, um, John Powell, and more modern films. But he everything he does is still good. So it's not my favorite, but it's still really, really good. Yeah, yeah. so thematic, so iconic. Uh, it's great, but not only Alan Silvestri, but like mixed with the soundtrack, especially in like the, you know, the, uh, you know, it's kind of it's genre, you know, in time pieces, uh, I thought it was really cool too, um, to kind of mix that together with the movie theme, the very clear, distinct time pieces within it. Yeah, they, they kind of weave the songs of the time in pretty well with uh, the actual score of the movie. And uh, it kind of reminiscent of uh, John Williams type of uh, score as well, because it has that main theme, that heroic theme uh, that's also whimsical at the same time during action scenes, during heroic uh, big character moments. The da, 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 da. Um, yeah, it, it's very theatrical very blockbustery i guess uh which fits this i mean th these were blockbusters at the time so yeah it, it works um it's really the only thing i notice as far as the score i i don't notice all of the other layers in between i as far as the score is concerned i only really notice that main theme and then like you said the soundtrack around it but uh, it's still very pleasing and, uh, you know, elicits the right emotions that you need in those moments. Well, it's like it's also it's super dramatic for a super dopey film series. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the I like that just juxtaposition, juxtaposition, like having the the super serious, dramatic, thematic score to this just goofy pseudoscience comedy film. Absolutely. Well, that's all I've got. What about you guys? We want to rank them? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm dying to hear yours. I'll yeah. start. Okay. So it's a it's a close call between three and one, and I will say I enjoyed three more so than one. Um, it just felt more fun to me, engaging. I like, I guess it's a kind of a sucker maybe for a good like Western kind of story too. So I like that we're set in like the old West and it, it plays on the tropes of the West mixed in with all the tropes set forth throughout this movie franchise. And I would say like one would be a very close second. Uh, and I wish I never have to watch number two again, back to the future part two as my least favorite. I just, I don't like it. I don't like any of it. That's crazy. But yeah, no, I totally understand. But I just think the the vehement dislike of of that in the future. I don't I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's there's so much going on. It the the plot 
itself has a lot going on with it but even like the movie the when they're in the alternate 1985 timeline it's like really over it's like extremely over the top and i I don't like the violence that's in it with like the the gun like i'm not i don't like violent movies for the most part and that one like is an exaggerated version of it like kind of mocks it so uh, just not my cup of tea so understood all right ted what about you i'm gonna go probably one three and two you know i i don't disdain to like andy does uh that's for sure uh but it does have its issues uh i mentioned before it pretty much the second half of the movie is a rehash of the first movie which is fine like it works for the movie but it suffers because of that and it also suffers i think because it goes between so many plot threads in quick succession so you start with the one where they've got to stop something for his kids then they get back there then they have to go back and uh, change things because biff biff things up and then on top of that they have to make sure that everything happens according to plan from the first movie and that that's fun maybe once or twice but it, it does not really hold up all that much compared to the other two i think and i was surprised how much i liked three more than two um three was its own unique one and uh you know it played on some of the tropes that they establish in the first two but also uh went in some different directions and i appreciated that and i appreciated like how divergent of a time period it was compared to the other two uh because even though 30 users is a big difference it's an even bigger difference when you go back from 1985 to 1885 100 years I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's a podcast that spans over 100 years, but takes place over about a week, which is really interesting when you talk about like the time. Uh, and then one is just super iconic. It, you can't beat it. I think it just does such a good job in setting everything up for this franchise. And it, it's really hard to top that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, I for me, it's it's kind of hard to rank them because like i said before i I think of them as uh just one long movie like one you know three chapters of one long so if i were to rank them it would be kind of like one a through c situation but um but i will um i you know one is definitely my favorite it it sets the tone for everything it's iconic It, it sets up all the references for the future movies i i actually like two a lot i i can understand where you guys are coming from where you rank it um i do think and i said this already it's a it feels like a super super long movie um and that is one of the weak points of it uh but i i love that it just it it feels the most connected to number one and it it just has a it 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 really does a, a good job at bringing everything back adding a layer but also bringing you back a level um, to kind of see the the big picture and, and what they're trying to do with time. Um, so I, I really like number two. Um, and then I like number three as well. Um, I think if, if I were to rank them again, I would put it third only because it's just, it it's kind of an outlier. You know, it's it's set way back in the past. Um, and uh, and they I like how they reference the future and, and the events that happen in the future. Um, but it's, it's not as directly related and the stakes are a little bit different 
um in the third one so again i like i love them all um i really liked this franchise um i again i've seen these a hundred times and if i were I, I wish i were to watch a little bit closer to see some more of the the easter eggs and uh, you know this is one of those movies and movie franchise you can find new things every time you watch it and i love those types of movies um like i'm a big star wars fan you, you, know, you get obsessed with finding new things and finding things that nobody has noticed before um, I, th I think that's the major strength of this franchise is right there that like you could go back and watch these movies again and you'll notice new things that are connected to the other movies like there'll probably be like some little detail in the background that's like the same thing that took place in all three movies but you you didn't notice until this one time that you happened to view it after so many times totally totally yep that's exactly it so um super strong franchise again it's it's something that just you could turn your brain off and watch it if you want. you can analyze it to the you know nth degree if you want um you know it's it's, it's a versatile franchise. so this was a good one absolutely so uh go ahead ted uh well the the one thing i wanted to touch on really quickly before we end it here is uh just really quickly running through the predictions from two that happened or didn't happen here so uh <laughs> cubs won the world series i think in 2015 wasn't, wasn't that, that the same year? year yeah uh not against miami uh but i i thought that was a fun point that uh at the time there was not a team in miami and then they're like holy shit they won against miami so now there is it wasn't the gators or whatever that was but uh obviously the marlins uh we have apparently the self-tying shoes right andy didn't you say that before that those exist yes so the nike did come out with them uh they don't work the same way but yeah it's essentially that it's like a tightening okay. mechanism that uh pulls the strings for you yeah and we also have what are called hoverboards but we talked about it at the end of last episode wouldn't really call them actual hoverboards uh <laughs> Not kind of uh it's like a Segway without a handle. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, the propulsion system isn't quite there yet. But wait, yeah. so they got it right from the first one? Oh no, those are just skateboards. My bad. Those My bad. Skateboards. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a similar, similar thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. What else happened? Um, I mean, those are like always the three that 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 really stand out. Those I are mean, the three. Flying cars, right? I mean, that's like everybody had a flying car there. Yep. You know that. I feel that that was a bit of a stretch, I would say. Uh, even in 1980, I have to think 30 years later, we we're going to have flying cars, but yeah, uh, we don't have self drying jackets either or self fitting no, right jackets. One size fits all jacket. Definitely are getting closer to having all of the uh, fingerprint scan and uh, kind of digital versions of identification i guess like um, on my phone i have a digital fingerprint sensor that will unlock my phone on it uh we have mm -hmm. facial recognition software now so stuff like that this kind of like close to dystopian stuff that we're getting to uh at least is in a similar direction as far as like all the self-identification stuff and i can definitely see like themes of 1984 big brother as you said earlier andy where like if the cops can just take your thumbprint and immediately know who you are off of that. That's pretty fucking scary without a criminal record. True. True. 
Uh, but even still, <laughs> I wouldn't want to know who I am. So uh, is that it for those? Can you think of any? Um, I mean, the only other thing is like the, the video chat, you know, in, in the room, um, you know, they have like the, yeah. they, they do it on like the big, like it's supposed to be like a hologram type thing, but we're not far off from there. Like Ted, you are watching us on your projector right now. It's true. Right? It's true. You, you guys are huge right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, we're kind of right there. I could be your boss calling you to fire you and I would then try to send you a fax, but that doesn't exist 30 years after 19. I, I mean, it exists, but uh, it's not very widely used still. I don't have a fax machine in my house. I don't either. But I don't uh, think most residentials have a fax machine. No. And it's to the point, too, where uh, faxes are sent digitally now. Uh, my, my place of work, we send faxes digitally to like doctor's offices because they still take faxes yeah. but i upload a pdf and it sends via email essentially to their fax machine right right yeah, yeah. you got to be pci compliant yeah uh anything else you guys can think of or do we want to wrap this thing that's up? that's it for the predictions um yeah let's get right. out of here what's next what's next well it we're recording pretty late in december here and we're gonna cram an episode for december for christmas uh sorry to any other religions and holidays out there uh they don't make many kwanzaa movies they don't make many hanukkah movies and they definitely don't make any franchises about them so here we are the only franchise we could find other than like santa paws was uh the santa claus movies yeah we, we talked long and hard about the santa paws movies uh, and where those stemmed off from the Airbud movies but that's a we're gonna a skip hole. yeah, yeah we, we don't want to go down there yeah <laughs> we're gonna... so we're, we're going with the tim allen santa claus movies so uh you know that tim allen's a guy who loves white powder and uh he gets a lot of it in those movies <laughs> So uh, yes. we're, we're going to go watch uh, the, the Santa Claus trilogy. I'm excited for it. I, I like those movies a lot, and I've seen them quite a bit around my house. Uh, my wife particularly enjoys them. She loves Christmas movies, so I'm sure she's going to be right there with me watching them. This should be a nice, accessible episode for everybody. So, you know, I, yeah. I think most people have seen at least the Santa Claus one. So catch up on the Santa Claus um, and, uh, and join us uh, in our discussion for next episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, find us on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Franchise Flicks for new episodes and other content. You can follow Andy on Twitch and Instagram at Darth Buckman and follow Zach on Twitter at underscore Zach Russo. Talk to you next time.